This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa al-aqibatu lil-muttaqeen. Wa la'udwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika lahu wa liyus salihin. وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله النبي المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So today is the 25th day of Ramadan of the year 1441 of the Hijrah of our Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم And so therefore this is the 25th sitting and session of the reading and the commentary of Tafsir al-Jalalain by the two Imams, Jalaluddin al-Mahalli and Jalaluddin al-Suyuti, alayhima rahmatullahi ta'ala. And today we begin with the reading and recitation of Surah Al-Ahqaf, which is at the very beginning of the 26th Juz of the Qur'an. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. اللهم اغفر لي شيخنا ولوالدينا ولجميع المسلمين أما بعد قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى في تفسير سورة الأحقاف The Sun Dunes This surah is Meccan except for ayah for ayat 10, 15 and 35 which are Medina it has 34 or 35 ayat So this is the 46th surah of the Quran and it is Surah Al-Ahqaf and it is the last of the Hamim surahs and the Hamim surahs often in Arabic when mentioned as a plural are known as the Hawameen. This is the last of, of them. And it is, uh, as you can see, as the author Ta'ala mentions, a Meccan surah, according to the majority of the scholars of Tafsir, with some exceptions over which there is some difference of opinion, certain verses, whether they are from the Meccan or the Medinan period. And as we've said before, Meccan period means pre-Hijrah, Medinan period is post-Hijrah. It is 35 verses according to our reading of the Mus'haf. And from the names of the surah, as we mentioned in the previous surahs that begin with Hamim, from the names of the surah, it's Hamim al-Ahqaf. Hamim al-Ahqaf, as is mentioned in some of the books of hadith, such as al-Bukhari and others. Uh, and the name for the term al-Ahqaf will come in the surah, in relation to the story of the people of Ad, and in terms of the location where they used to reside and the place that they lived in. And this will come, inshallah ta'ala, later on in the surah. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم حاميم الله knows best what is meant by this تنزيل الكتاب من الله العزيز الحكيم the revelation of the book meaning the Quran is from Allah the Almighty in His kingdom the All Wise in what He does ما خلقنا السماوات والأرض وما بينهما إلا بالحق. We have not created the heavens and earth and everything between them except with truth. So as to indicate our power and unity. وأجل مسمى and for a set term until the set time when they will vanish on the last day of rising. والذين كفروا عما أنذروا معرضون. That those who disbelieve turn away from what they have been warned regarding the punishment. قُلْ أَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ Say, tell me, have you thought about those idols you call upon and worship apart from Allah? 
Show me what they have created on the earth. Or do they have a partnership in the creation of the heavens? This demands a negative response. Produce a revealed book for me before this one, meaning the Quran, or a shred of ancient knowledge which validates your claim in respect of your worship of idols. They claim that worshipping them brings you near to Allah, if you are telling the truth in respect of your claim. And Allah in verse number 4 of Surah Al-Ahtaf, again, is establishing the proof and justification for his right to be worshipped alone subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that these gods that are worshipped besides Allah Allah says, show me which part of the earth did they create? Which part of the heavens can you point to and say that such and such a god created that portion of the heavens, this portion of the earth? And if that is the case, then bring me either a book that is divinely revealed, that asserts and affirms their position as gods besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or some ancient knowledge, meaning some historical evidence that has been passed down from generation to generation and is authenticated and is known to be correct and accepted to be true, that shows proof for your claim. Otherwise, it is simply conjecture. Who could be further astray than those who call on and worship other things besides Allah? which will not ever respond to them, to their worshippers in respect of anything that they ask them until the day of rising, and which are unaware of their prayers. They are, un- they are unaware of their worship because they are inanimate and do not understand. In verse 6 then, we therefore understand the opposite, that from the greatest attributes of a God and a Lord and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the fact that He does hear our du'as and respond to them. Because Allah is really saying, who is more astray than the one who cannot even hear your du'as, let alone answer them. Therefore, one of the greatest attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that for which he is deserving of worship, Jalla fi ula, and what makes our worship of him subhanahu wa ta'ala so important is the fact that he hears our du'as, and that he responds to them in this dunya and on the day of judgment. When mankind is gathered together, they, meaning the idols, will be their enemies, hostile to those who worship them and will reject their worship. وَإِذَا تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُنَا بَيِّنَاتٍ قَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لِلْحَقِّ لَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ هَذَا سِحْرٌ مُّبِينٌ When our clear signs, meaning the Qur'an, are recited to them, meaning the people of Mecca, those who reject say to the truth, meaning the Qur'an, when it comes to them, this is clear and downright magic. أَمْ يَقُولُونَ افْتَرَاهُ Or do they say, he has invented it, meaning the Qur'an, there is a negative answer to the question. Say, hypothetically, if I have invented it, then you possess no power to help me against the punishment by Allah in any way. You cannot defend me against Allah if He inflicts punishment on me. He knows best what you hold forth about and say about the Quran. He, meaning Allah, is witness enough between me and you. He is the ever-forgiving of those who repent, the most merciful, and does not hasten the penalty. Say, I am nothing new, meaning no innovation, among the messengers, not the first messenger. There were many before me, so how can you deny me? 
I have no idea what will be done with me or you in this world, whether I will be expelled from my land or killed as happened to prophets before me, or whether, we will, or whether you will throw stones at me or whether the earth will swallow you up as happened with others before you. I only follow what has been revealed to me, in other words, the Qur'an, and I do not innovate anything for myself. I am only a clear warner. In this verse, verse number 9, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ مَا كُنْتُ بِدْعًا مِنَ الرُّسُلِ وَمَا أَدْرِي مَا يُفْعَلُ بِي وَلَا بِكُمْ Say I am nothing new amongst the messengers, meaning that I am not the first of them. Many messengers and prophets were sent before me. Nor do I have any idea what will be done with me or with you. And the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, says in this world, and that is the position of the majority of the scholars of tafsir, that the verse is referring to the Prophet wasallam speaking about what will be done to him. In terms of what will happen in this world, as Imam Al-Tabari and others mentioned, meaning that I don't know what will happen to me in this world in terms of what the future holds for me, in terms of the difficulties and trials of the dunya. And some other scholars said, no, it refers to the akhirah. I don't know what my outcome will be and what your outcome will be on your Qiyam. And others said, such as Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin, Rahimahullah Ta'ala Shaqiti, he said that it means that I don't know what, is, what will become of me or you in terms of the laws of Allah Azza wa what Allah will reveal from the halal and from the haram and what he will associate in terms of reward and punishment for those laws that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reveal to us. قُلْ أَرَأَيْتُمْ إِنْ كَانَ مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ وَكَثَرْتُمْ بِهِ وَشَهِدَ شَاهِدٌ مِنْ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ عَلَى مِثْلِهِ فَآمَنَ وَاسْتَكْبَرْتُمْ Say, what do you think? Tell me what your state will be. If it, meaning the Qur'an, is from Allah and you reject it, when a witness from the tribe of Israel, meaning Abdullah ibn Salam, testifies to its similarity to previous revelations, affirming that it is from Allah, and so the witness believes, while you are too arrogant to believe, you are wrongdoers and Allah certainly does not guide wrongdoing people. In verse number 10, Allah Azza wa says, وَشَهِدَ شَاهِدٌ مِّن بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلٌ And a witness from the tribe of Israel, from the children of Israel, bore witness. And this is one of those verses that the scholars differ over as to whether it is a Makki, surah, a Makki verse or a Madani verse. If we take the position that is the position of the majority of the scholars of tafsir, the one that the author rahimahullah mentions, and it's the position of Al-Tabari and Ibn Kathir, and Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin rahimahumullah ajma'in, and others, that what is being referenced in terms of the witness of Bani Israel is, is the likes of Abdullah ibn Salam, radiyallahu anhu, the famous companion, who is a well-known companion of the Prophet who was a Jewish scholar and then became a Muslim. And we've mentioned him, and the author has referenced him many times in the tafsir of the Qur'an. And often when he speaks about the believers from the people of the book, he gives Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu anhu as an example because of his status and his knowledge radiallahu anhu. And from the hadith that speak about his virtues, what is collected in Bukhari, that one of the companions said that I never heard that the Prophet sallallahu wasallam promised paradise for a man walking upon the face of the earth except for Abdullah Ibn Salam radiallahu anhu. And clearly there are other hadith that affirm paradise and confirm them for other companions like the ten. But the point is that from that companion's point of view, from what he heard, it was only Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu anhu. But it shows his status, the status of this companion. So therefore, based upon this, it is Abdullah ibn Salam that is bearing testimony ala mithlihi from something which is similar to it, meaning the Torah. 
So he bears witness to the truthfulness of the Quran, the truthfulness of the Prophet ﷺ, based upon the knowledge that he had from the previous scriptures. So therefore the verse is a Madani verse in a Mecki surah. And as we said, that a one or two or three or four verses being Madani in a Mecki surah or vice versa, doesn't detract from the surah generally being a Mecki or a Madani surah. That is one tafsir. The other tafsir is of the scholars who said that the entire surah is Mecki. So therefore, if the entire surah is a Mecki surah, who is the witness from Bani Israel? They said it is the Prophet Musa, alayhi salatu wassalam. The Prophet Musa, and he is the one who bears witness to the truthfulness of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, because in the Torah that was revealed to him is the sign of the coming of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and Allah knows best. وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَوْ كَانَ خَيْرًا مَا سَبَقُونَا إِلَيْهِ Those who disbelieve say of those who believe, if there were any good in it, meaning belief, they would not have beaten us to it. وَإِذْ لَمْ يَهْتَدُوا بِهِ فَسَيَقُولُونَ هَذَا إِفْكُمْ قَدِيمٌ And since they have not been guided by it, meaning the Qur'an, they are bound to say, this Qur'an is an antiquated falsehood. In verse number 11, Allah Azzawajal says, وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَوْ كَانَ خَيْرًا مَا سَبَقُونَ إِلَيْهِ Those who disbelieve say, of those who believe. The believers in this verse meaning, the weak amongst the mu'mineen, the poor and the weak believers. It is those Muslims that were weak, former slaves and so on, they are the ones that the disbelievers used to ridicule and mock and look down upon and were arrogant towards. And so it is them that they have this uh, power trip over. And not the likes of Abu Bakr and others who are, have their status even amongst the Quraysh and their position and their wealth and their prosperity doesn't make sense for someone who is of a similar status to Abu Bakr or maybe even less in terms of wealth and so on, that he should have this type of attitude towards him. And that is why the position of many of the scholars of tafsir is that these verses and similar to it is when they make fun of the lowly from amongst the Muslims in what they understand to mean lowly, meaning those who have no status amongst them, no lineage, no wealth, they are former slaves, the poor, the weak, and so on. But before it, meaning the Quran, there was the book of Musa, the Torah, as a model and a mercy to the believers. وَهَذَا كِتَابٌ مُصَدِّقٌ لِسَانًا عَرَبِيًّا الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا And this is a corroborating book, confirming the books before it, in the Arabic tongue, so that you may warn those who do wrong, including the idolaters of Mecca. وَبُشْرَى لِلْمُحْسِنِينَ And as good news for the good doers, meaning the believers. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا رَبُّنَا اللَّهُ ثُمَّ اسْتَقَامُوا فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ those who say, our Lord is Allah, and then go straight in obedience to Allah, will feel no fear and will know no sorrow. In verse number 13, when Allah Azzawajal says, The believers are those who say, we believe in Allah Azzawajal, our Lord is Allah, and then have istiqamah, go straight. Istiqamah, or that's the literal meaning to go straight. But as we mentioned before, istiqamah is to continuously be in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To continuously be in the obedience of Allah, that is the meaning of such people are the companions of the garden, remaining in it timelessly forever as repayment for what they did. We have instructed man to be good, read as Husnan and Ihsanan to his parents. 
حملته أمه كرها ووضعته كرها. His mother bore him with difficulty, and with difficulty gave birth to him. وحمله وفصاله ثلاثون شهرا. And his bearing and weaning took thirty months. Thirty months refers to the period of pregnancy, whose minimum is six months, and the rest of it is suckling. If it be said that if she is pregnant for six or nine months, then the period of suckling is that which makes up the total. If the child survives, the age maturity with respect to strength, intelligence, and discernment is 33, or between 30 and 40. حَتَّى إِذَا بَلَغَ أَشُدَّهُ وَبَلَغَ أَرْبَعِينَ سَنَةً قَادَ رَبِّ أَوْزِعْنِي أَنْ أَشْكُرَ نِعْمَتَكَ الَّتِي أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيَّ وَعَلَى وَالِدَيَّ وَأَنْ أَعْمَلَ صَالِحًا تَرْضَاهَا Then when he achieves his full strength and reaches 40, he says, My Lord, keep me thankful for the blessing and inspire me to be grateful for the blessing of Tawheed. You bestowed on me and on my parents and keep me acting rightly, pleasing you. It is said that this was revealed about Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. He reached the age of 42 years after the Prophet ﷺ was sent and became a believer. Then his parents became believers and then his son, Abdurrahman, and then the son of Abdurrahman, Atiq. He set, free nine, he set free nine believers who were being tortured on account of their belief in Allah. وَأَصْلِحْنِي فِي ذُرِّيَّتِي And make my descendants righteous. And all of his offspring were believers. إِنِّي تُبْتُ إِلَيْكَ وَإِنِّي مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ I have turned in repentance to you and I am truly one of the Muslims. In verse 15, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, حَتَّى إِذَا بَلَغَ أَشُدَّهُ وَبَلَغَ أَرْبَعِينَ سَنَةً Then when he achieves his full strength and reaches the age of 40. And the scholars here have a number of views and opinions as to the meaning of maturity and the age of 40. What does it mean? And so not all of them equated the two to mean the same thing. That maturity was full strength and the age of 40 is one and the same. So for example some of them said that the age of maturity is 18. Another said it is as you can see here as Al-Mahalli said 30, 33, 36. There are numerous opinions as to what it refers to and from those opinions is the age of 40. Because we know that many of the Prophets of Allah, it is said that they were sent at the age of 40. As was our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But others were sent before that age and others were younger. And Allah azza wa jalla knows best. So the point here being that the scholars differ over this. And perhaps the best of those opinions is what Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala chose. And there is the statement of Al-Imam al-Zuhri rahimahullah ta'ala from the scholars of the Salaf. And that is that he said that the age of maturity is between puberty and up to the age of 40. And it differs from person to person. But the age of 40 is the maximum of that. At the age of 40 a person reaches their full maturity and wisdom that they will have. And so by that you combine between all of those different opinions amongst the Salaf in terms of the exact age of that maturity. And Allah Azza wa knows best. And then the author Rahimahullah Ta'ala Towards the end of the verse, he gives the example of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu in this verse. And that is a statement that is attributed to Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. That he would say concerning this verse, like Abu Bakr and his family. And he would give the example, not that it is revealed because of them, or that it is exclusive to them. But as an example, from those people who Allah azza wa has blessed, not only in terms of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu himself, his position in Islam, his status radiallahu anhu, But he is one of those companions that Allah blessed, that his own family becomes a Muslim, his wife is a Muslim, his daughters are Muslims, his sons are Muslims, even to the extent that his father, Abu Quhafa, in extreme old age, at the conquest of Mecca, becomes a Muslim. 
and that is from the favor that Allah gave to this illustrious companion radiallahu and so his family is a family of goodness and a family of khair and a family of blessing those such as Abu Bakr and others like him are people whose best deeds will be accepted and whose wrong deeds will be overlooked. They are among the companions of the garden in fulfillment of the true promise made to them, which is found in Allah's words. Allah has promised the believers, men and women, the gardens of paradise. What of him who says to his parents, fie on you, read as uffin, uffa and uff. This is a word indicating foulness and ugliness, used to express annoyance with someone. Do you promise me that I will be resurrected from the grave when generations of nations before me have passed away and have not emerged from their graves? They both, they both call on Allah for help. Woe to you. You will be destroyed. Believe in the resurrection. Allah's promise is true. But he says, this claim of resurrection is nothing but the myths and lies of previous peoples. And so Allah gives us the example here of two very different people. Those people that Allah has blessed in their families and their children and their children are righteous and they are respecting towards them and honorable towards them and those people whose children are not so nice and not so respectful and not so honoring of their parents. The reading in verse number 17 is uffin, uffa and uffi. The last one is with a kasra, not just uff. Uffi. Uffan, uffi and uffa. Those are people of whom the statement about the nations that they will be punished, both of jinn and men who passed away before them, has also proved true. Truly, they were the last. Everyone, believer and unbeliever, will be ranked according to what they did. The believers will have high ranks in the garden and the unbelievers will have low ranks in the fire. He will pay them. Read as, We will pay in full for their actions. The believers being repaid for their acts of obedience and the unbelievers for their acts of disobedience. And they will not be wronged in the slightest, either by decrease for the believers or by increase for the unbelievers. On the day when those who disbelieved are exposed to the fire, they will be told you dissipated the good things you had in your worldly life by being occupied with its pleasures and enjoyed yourself in it. So today you are being repaid with the punishment of humiliation for being arrogant in the earth without any right and for being deviators and you are receiving the punishment for it now. In verse number 20 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَيَوْمَ يُعْرَضُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا عَلَى النَّارِ On the day when those who disbelieve are exposed to the fire 
What does it mean that they are exposed to the fire? Some of the scholars said that the fire will be brought close to them, or they will be brought close to the fire. That's the meaning. And the others said it means that they will enter the fire. The fire is presented to them is to say that they will enter into the fire on the day that they will enter into the fire. That is the meaning. Allah then says, You dissipated the good things that you had in your worldly life. And this is a discussion that the scholars then have concerning the disbelievers. Does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them for the good that they've done? You have people who may not be Muslim, but they do a lot of good. They give charity and they feed the poor and they help the oppressed and many, many things that they do, which sometimes a believer may not do in terms of helping others and in terms of some of those acts of goodness. Are they rewarded for that goodness? According to this verse and the position that is chosen by a number of the scholars as Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin rahimahullah ta'ala mentions is that yes, Allah rewards them but that reward is in this world only and not in the next world. And that is what is mentioned in the hadith in Sahih Muslim that the Prophet said when the believer does a good deed Allah Azza wa rewards them for that good deed by giving them goodness in this world and Allah will reserve for them their reward of the akhirah. Keep for them the reward of the Akhirah. Whereas for the disbeliever who does good, then Allah rewards them in this world and they have no portion of the next life. And that is because the next life and its reward are, are determined by Iman and by the acceptance of the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the believers get their, the disbelievers get their reward in this world and Allah Azza wa removes from them calamity and gives to them rizq and opens for them provision and many other things in by way of which Allah Azza wa gives them what they deserve. And there are even a hadith that show that for some of them that will be the case in the next life like Abu Talib in the hadith of Al-Abbas radiallahu anh, when he said, O Messenger of Allah, what will you do for your uncle Abu Talib who spent his life defending you? The Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it is because of my intercession and so this will be from the intercessions of the Prophet ﷺ on the Day of Judgment. And it's because of my intercession that he will be towards the edge of the fire. And were it not for me, he would have been in his depths. Meaning that he would have one of the least punishments of the fire. But even the least punishment of the fire is something which cannot be tolerated. Because in another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, the least of the people of the fire and punishment, is the one who has fire in his, in his shoes or in his sandals. And because of it, his brain boils. He thinks that there is no one worse to him than him in the fire of hell. Just as the one in Jannah who has the least of reward, the last man to enter into Jannah, will think that there will be no one better than him in terms of reward in Jannah. Remember the brother of Ad, who would be peace be upon him, when he warned his people by the sand dunes. This place, named Al-Ahqaf, is a wadi in Yemen, where their houses were located. وَقَدْ خَلَتِ النُّذُرُ مِنْ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِ And warners, meaning messengers, passed away before and after him, meaning Hud, who was sent to their people, saying to them, أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا اللَّهَ إِنِّي أَخَافُ عَلَيْكُمْ عَذَابَ يَوْمٍ عَظِيمٍ Worship no one but Allah. I fear for you the punishment of a terrible day, if you worship gods other than Allah. In verse number 21, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَذْكُرْ أَخَا عَادٍ إِذْ أَنْذَرَ قَوْمَهُ and it is from this verse that we take the name of the surah. And remember the brother of Ad, and the brother of Ad is Hud because in the Quran Allah has mentioned a number of times, وَإِلَىٰ عَادٍ أَخَاهُمْ هُدَىٰ Allah says, remember the brother of Ad when he warned his people by Ahqaf. And Ahqaf is the area that they lived in. Ad is the name of the tribe, Ahqaf is the name of the area that they resided in. And as we said before, it is a place in Yemen. 
and the meaning of the word ahqaf is as the translator mentioned according to the majority of the scholars of tafsir it refers to sand dunes that are extremely high he said that it was like mountains stream like high sand dunes mountains made of sand and so that is what the meaning of al-ahqaf is وَقَدْ خَلَتِ النُّذُرُ مِنْ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِ and warners came before him and after him وَقَدْ خَلَتِ النُّذُرُ مِنْ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِ what does that mean that warners and messengers came before Hud and after Hud some of the scholars said it means from different places meaning that it wasn't the only prophet of that area but there were prophets surrounding him as well and the different tribes and the different people and nations in that area were known to one another and so Allah Azza wa is saying that we sent different prophets to many of those tribes and nations that lived in that area that is one tafsir and the other tafsir is that it is more literal and indeed we sent messengers before Hud and after Hud meaning that he was the first in a line of them but Allah Azza wa chooses Hud for the story either because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes to favor him or because he is the one that will be the one that will bring after him the destruction and punishment of Allah will descend upon them and so Allah Azza wa says that he is the first in a line of them and Allah knows best they said have you come to us to divert us from our gods to stop us from worshipping our gods Bring us what you have promised us in terms of punishment for worshipping them if you are telling the truth about it coming to us. He, meaning Hud, said, All knowledge is with Allah, and it is He who knows when the punishment will come to you. I only transmit to you what I have been sent to you with. But I see that you are a people who are ignorant, as is shown by your seeking to hasten the punishment. When they saw it, meaning the punishment, as a storm cloud which appeared on the horizon, advancing on their valleys, they said, this is a storm cloud which will give us rain. Allah says, No, rather it is what, meaning the punishment, you desire to hasten. A wind containing painful punishment. And verse 24 is what we referred to before in the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha when she says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Bukhari Muslim that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would see clouds coming over Medina he would sometimes become anxious. And when asked about this he said because there were nations who came before that were destroyed in this way. And this is the story here of Ad that they had a time of drought and famine that was part of their punishment. So when they saw the rain clouds or the storm clouds coming, they said to Hud, you are a liar. You said that we would be destroyed after the drought and famine and here is rain coming to us, rain clouds approaching, showing that you are, and so they rejoiced. And so Allah Azza wa says, rather it was what they sought, meaning Allah's punishment, رِحٌ فِيهَا عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Destroying everything at its Lord's command. In other words, it destroyed everything that Allah wished to be destroyed. And so it destroyed their men, women, children and property by throwing all of everything into the air and ripping it apart. Hud and those who were believers remained unharmed. When morning came, you could see nothing but their dwellings. That is how we repay the people of the evildoers. And that is how, the other, how other evildoers will also be repaid. 
ولقد ولقد مكناهم فيما إن مكناكم فيه وجعلنا لهم سمعا وأبصارا وأفئدة We established them far more firmly in strength and wealth than we have established you, people of Mecca, and gave them hearing, sight, and hearts. فَمَا أَغْنَى عَنْهُمْ سَمْعُهُمْ وَلَا أَبْصَارُهُمْ وَلَا أَفْئِدَتُهُمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ إِذْ كَانُوا يَجْحَدُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ وَحَاقَ بِهِمْ مَا كَانُوا بِهِ يَسْتَهْزِئُونَ But their hearing, sight, and hearts were of no use to them at all when they renounced Allah's clear signs, and what they mocked at, meaning the punishment, engulfed them. وَلَقَدْ أَهْلَكْنَا مَا حَوْلَكُمْ مِنَ الْقُرَى We destroyed the cities round about you, meaning the people of those cities such as Thamud, Ad, and the people of Lut. وَصَرَّفْنَا الْآيَاتِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ And have variegated the clear signs so that perhaps they may turn back. فَلَوْلَا نَصَرَهُمُ الَّذِينَ اتَّخَذُوا مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ قُرْبَانًا آلِهَةً why have those idols they took as gods besides Allah to bring them near to Him not come to their aid to avert the punishment from them? No, in fact, they have forsaken them. They were absent when the punishment descended. That was a fiction, something they invented, a lie they told. And we diverted a group of jinn. These were jinn from Nisbiyin in Yemen, or jinn from Nineveh, and were seven or nine in number towards you. This occurred when the Prophet ﷺ was in a wadi containing some palm trees, leading his companions in the Fajr prayer, as is reported in Al Bukhari and Muslim, to listen to the Quran. When they were in earshot of it, they said to one another, Be quiet and listen to it. When it, meaning his recitation was over, they went back to their people, warning them of punishment if they did not believe. They had been Jews and became Muslim. In restaurant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this story that is uh, a well-known hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet sallallahu was once leading the salah and a group of the jinn came and they heard his recitation in the Fajr prayer. And one of those a narration says it was in Batnul Nakhal, which is, as the translator mentions, in a valley where there are date palm trees. And other narrations in Sukhu Ukal. And so they heard the Prophet ﷺ reciting the Quran, and then they went back as believers to their people or their nations of the jinn, and they told them of what they had heard from the Quran. And this is a authentic hadith and a well-known incident. And similar to it will be what will be mentioned in the 29th juz of the Quran. In Surah Al-Jinn, the Surah that is named after the Jinn. And Allah Azza wa Jalla will tell us something similar then as well. And the incident of the Jinn is mentioned in a longer hadith, which the Prophet said that indeed the Jinn used to go to the heavens and they would listen to the news of the heavens and they would snatch from it the news that they wanted and they would come and they would give it to their soothsayers and so on. Until before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to send the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah azza wa commanded that if the jinn were to come close, they would be shot at. Those meteors would come and they would strike them. So when the jinn went to ascend to the heavens and a number of them were unable to get close and they came back to one another, they said to one another, that is because certainly Allah has decreed something upon the earth. Something new has happened, something has changed. So go and scour the earth to see what has changed. 
So they all went to different directions and different places. And this group of jinn, and Allah knows best where they come from and which area they came from, but they came to the place where the Prophet was. And when they heard him reciting and leading the companions in Fajr Salah and reciting the Quran, they said this, Unsitu, listen to this carefully. And then they said to one another, this is the reason why. This is why we can no longer get the news of the heavens because Allah has placed a barrier. Now it is revelation of the Quran. And so they went back and they told their people of the jinn. And so amongst the jinn are believers. And Allah will speak about this in more detail as we said in Surah Al-Jinn. One of the benefits that we take from this verse also then is two things. Number one, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only sent messengers from men, from humans. Which is the position of the majority of the scholars of Islam. There are no messengers or prophets from the jinn. Their prophets and messengers are also from the humans, from the messengers and prophets of whom we know. And number two, that Allah ever only sent prophets from cities, not from the desert. They weren't Bedouins. They were city dwellers. And that is why Allah says in Surah Yusuf, We have never sent before your prophet except that he was a man and he was from a city. And so those are the two things that Allah has placed amongst the prophets. قالوا يا قومنا إنا سمعنا كتابا أنزل من بعد موسى مصدقا لما بين يديه يهدي إلى الحق وإلى طريق مستقيم. They said our people we have had a book meaning the Quran which was set down after Musa confirming what came before it such as a Torah guiding to the truth meaning Islam and to a straight path. يا قومنا أجيبوا داعي الله وآمنوا به. Our people respond to Allah's call to faith, meaning Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and believe in him. يَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ مِنْ ذُنُوبِكُمْ He, meaning Allah, will forgive you some of your wrong actions. This is qualified by the word some, because some wrongs can only be forgiven with the consent of those who are wronged. وَيُجِرْكُمْ مِنْ عَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ And save you from painful punishment. In verse number 31, and this is something which we mentioned before, of the word min, some of your wrong actions and it is a good tafsir because not every deed or not every sin rather is dependent on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgiving it alone but Allah has placed for some of that forgiveness a condition of forgiveness that you right the wrongs that you have done and that you settle the oppression that you have committed with those people that have been oppressed and Allah knows best وَمَنْ لَا يُجِبْ دَاعِيَ اللَّهِ فَلَيْسَ بِمُعْجِزٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَيْسَ لَهُ مِنْ دُونِهِ أَوْلِيَاءِ Those who do not respond to Allah's caller cannot thwart Allah on earth, meaning they cannot escape Allah by flight, and have no protectors apart from Him to protect them from His punishment. أُولَٰئِكَ فِي ضَلَالٍ مُبِينٍ Such people who do not respond are clearly misguided. أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا أَنَّ اللَّهَ الَّذِي خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَلَمْ يَعْيَ بِخَلْقِهِنَّ بِقَادِرٍ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يُحْيِيَ الْمَوْتَىٰ Do they, meaning those who deny the resurrection, not see and know that Allah, He who created the heavens and the earth and was not worried by creating them, has the power to bring the dead to life. بَلَىٰ Yes, indeed. إِنَّهُ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ He has power over all things. وَيَوْمَ يُعْرَضُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا عَلَى النَّارِ أَلَيْسَ هَذَا بِالْحَقِّ On the day when those who disbelieved are exposed to the fire, when they are being punished, they will be asked, is this punishment not true? قَالُوا بَلَى وَرَبِّنَا They will say, yes, by our Lord. 
قال فذوقوا العذاب بما كنتم تكفرون he will say then taste the punishment for having disbelieved فاصبر كما صبر اولو العزم من الرسل so be steadfast in the face of persecution from your people as the messengers before you with firm resolve were also steadfast they showed steadfastness and fortitude in the face of hardships and had firm resolve. It, the noun, messengers, is also said to be partitive, as Adam was not one of them. For Allah says, we did not find that he had a firm resolve, nor was Yunus, since he says, do not be like the companion of the fish. And do not seek to hasten it, meaning the punishment for them, meaning your people. It is said that it was as if the Prophet ﷺ was annoyed at them and wanted the punishment to befall them. And so he was commanded to be steadfast and not seek to hasten the punishment which will inevitably befall them at the due time. On the day they see what they were promised, meaning the punishment in the next world, because of its length, it will be, it will be as if they had only tarried in this world for just one hour of a single day. Balaw, it, meaning the Quran, has been transmitted from Allah to you. Will any be destroyed when they see the punishment except for deviant people, meaning the unbelievers? In the last verse of the surah, verse 35, Allah says, So be steadfast, as the messengers before you with firm resolve were steadfast. And the Ulul Azm are considered to be the most senior of the messengers and prophets of Allah. And the scholars differ greatly as to who are the five or who are the Ulul Azm. And they have a number of opinions. From them is that they were Hud and Salih and Ibrahim. And from them is that it is the six prophets that Allah constantly mentions their stories. Nuh and Hud and Salih and uh, Lut and Shu'ib and Musa alayhi And there are many, a number of opinions. The strongest of them and Allah Azza knows best is that it is the five that Allah Azza often mentions together by name in single verses. Such as in the verse where the Khadna min al Nabiyina mithaqahum. And such as the verse that we covered yesterday, Shara'alakum min al Dini, ma wasa bihi nuha. And those five would be the Prophet Nuh and Ibrahim and Musa and Isa and our Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam wa Alihi Musalatu Musalam. Those are the five that Allah Azza wa Jal refers to as being the prophets of the highest resolve. And it is their stories that we find many lessons and many benefits from. Allah Azza wa then says, لَمْ يَلْبَثُوا إِلَّا سَاعَةً مِنْ نَهَارٍ It is only as if they had spent an hour of a day. And as we said before, the word sa'a in classical Arabic does not refer to a 60-minute portion, but a small portion of the day, whatever that length of time may be. بَلَاغ It is a transmission, meaning this Qur'an is something which has been conveyed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Surah Muhammad this surah is Medinan except for ayah 13, which is Mecca. It has 38 or 39 ayat. So this is the 47th surah of the Quran named after our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that is because the name of the Prophet will come in one of the verses at the very beginning of this surah. It is a Madani surah, according to the vast majority of the scholars of Tafsir. And the exception that is made is for a verse that it is said was revealed after the Hajjatul Wada' after the farewell Hajj. And so the difference of opinion essentially and sometimes and often in, the, in, in this issue of Mecca and Madani comes down and comes back to how you define what is a Mecca or Madani surah. So those scholars who said that that verse is a Mecca verse took the definition of Mecca to mean anything that is revealed in the city of Mecca. So they define it by location. 
as we said, the correct definition and the stronger one, Allah knows best, is that it is defined by time period. So therefore, even if something is revealed post-Hijrah, irrespective of its location, even if it is in Mecca, it is still a Madani verse. And so therefore, that verse, according to our definition, even if it is revealed after the farewell Hajj, is still a Madani verse, because we look at the time period as opposed to the location. And so Allah Azza wa knows best because the problem with the location one is that there are verses that were revealed neither in Mecca nor in Medina. And then it becomes confusing in terms of a definition. From the names of this surah that it is known by is Surah Al-Ladheena Kafaru. Surah Al-Ladheena Kafaru which is the first two words of the first verse. And that is mentioned in some of the works of, of Hadith. But a more common name that it is also known by and famous for in many of the works of Tafsir ibn Kathir, As-Suyuti, many of them mention this as a name Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah. You will find this a common name in books of Tafsir for this surah is Surah Al-Qital. Surah Al-Qital. The surah of fighting. And so this is a surah that has that name and it is referenced by that name in many of the works of Tafsir. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. الذين كفروا وصدوا عن سبيل الله أضل أعمالهم. For those who disbelieve among the people of Mecca and others and bar others from the way of Allah, meaning faith, Allah will make their good actions, such as feeding people and maintaining ties of kinship, go astray and come to nothing. They will find no reward for, for them in the next world. They are repaid in this world by the bounty of Allah. In verse number one, Allah subhanahu wa taala says, الذين كفروا وصدوا عن سبيل الله أضل أعمالهم. For those who disbelieve and bar others from the path of Allah, Allah will make their actions go astray. The word adalla amalahum, the scholars differ. One position is as the translator has chosen. And that is that he means to literally go astray. That is the position of an Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala. The second tafsir is what the author then, rahimahullah ta'ala, seems to favor. And that is that the meaning of going astray is that they will be devoid. Their actions will be nullified and void of receiving any reward. And that is the position that was chosen by Ibn Kathir and Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah amongst others. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَآمَنُوا بِمَا نُزِّلَ عَلَى مُحَمَّدٍ وَهُوَ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ كَفَّرَ عَنْهُمْ سَيِّئَاتِهِمْ وَأَصْلَحَ بَالَهُمْ As for those who believe and do right actions, such as the Ansar and others, and believe in what has been sent down to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, meaning the Qur'an, and it is the truth from their Lord. He will erase their bad actions from them and forgive them, and better their condition so that they do not disobey him. And in verse number two, because we have the explicit name of the Prophet ﷺ being mentioned, it is said that the surah is named after this verse. And Allah knows best. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says at the end of the verse, وَأَصْلَحَ بَالَهُمْ And Allah will better their condition. And there are many different opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir as to what that means. <clears throat> Perhaps the most comprehensive of those is what Imam al-Tabari says, that Allah will better their condition in this life and the next. And that is comprehensive, meaning in every way Allah Azza wa will better their condition. ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا اتَّبَعُوا الْبَاطِلَ وَأَنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّبَعُوا الْحَقَّ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ That, meaning the loss of the actions of the unbelievers and the erasure of the bad actions of the believers, is because those who disbelieve follow falsehood in the form of shaytan, whereas those who believe follow the truth from their Lord, meaning the Qur'an. In that way, Allah makes comparisons for mankind, meaning makes it clear to people that the actions of unbelievers come to nothing, and that the errors of believers will be forgiven. 
فَإِذَا لَقِيْتُمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فَضَرْبَ الرِّقَابِ Therefore, when you meet those who disbelieve, strike their necks, meaning kill them. Striking people's necks generally results in their death. حَتَّى إِذَا أَثْخَنْتُمُوهُمْ فَشُدُّ الْوَثَاقُ Then, when you have slaughtered them, meaning killed many of them, tie their bonds tightly, hold them as prisoners and bind them firmly. فَإِمَّا مَنَّمْ بَعْدُ وَإِمَّا فِدَاءً حَتَّى تَضَعَ الْحَرْبُ أَوْزَارَهَا and set them free, meaning show grace to them by releasing them without them having to pay anything, or ransom them for money, or in exchange for Muslim captives, until the war is finally over. The literal translation of this is, war lays down its burdens, which comes from the combatants laying down their weapons, although, although it may be brought about by other things such as unbelievers becoming Muslim or entering into a treaty. It marks the end of killing and capture. That command regarding them is how it is to be. وَلَمْ يَشَاءُ اللَّهُ لَنْ تَصَرَ مِنْهُمْ وَلَكِنْ لِيَبْنُوَ بَعْضَكُمْ بِبَعْضٍ If Allah willed, He could avenge Himself on them without any need for fighting. But it, meaning that command, is so that He may test some of you by means of others, by their having to fight. Those of you who are killed will go to the garden and those of them who are killed will go to the fire. وَالَّذِينَ قُتِنُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ فَلَنْ يُضِلَّ أَعْمَالَهُمْ as for those who are killed, read as قُتِلُوا and also قَاتَلُوا in which case the meaning is those who fight in the way of Allah He will not let their actions go astray This ayah was revealed on the day of the Battle of Uhud when a lot of killing and wounds was afflicted on the Muslims In verse number 4 of this, <coughs> of this surah as we mentioned before in verses similar to it in surah At-Tawbah and surah Al-Anfal and other parts of the Qur'an the Qur'an is meant to help people in every single aspect of their lives so it is for the father, and it is for the mother, and it is for the child, and it is for the Muslim, and it is for the ruler. And some of these verses therefore have to be understood in their correct context, which is found in the Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, and in the books of fiqh. And this is one of those verses that is meant for the Muslim rulers, that is done in a clear and defined role with them and their expressed permission as rulers of Muslim countries with Muslim armies, as is the case in every country of the world, that they have their own rules of war and defense and so on. And so for an average Muslim to come and take this verse and then to apply it on a generic situation and think that this is a command for every other Muslim and every person to come out onto the streets and fight in this way, then that is a misinterpretation of the Qur'an and a misunderstanding and it is a grave sin and it is a form of oppression and transgression. And so therefore these verses have to be understood in their context. And part of knowledge and from the benefits of studying tafsir is that when you come across these verses, you understand the context of those verses and you understand how and when they are applied. Otherwise, it leads to much corruption and evil upon the earth. He will guide them in this world and in the next to what will benefit them and better their condition in both worlds. This is world for those who are not killed and there will be high degrees in paradise for those who are. And he will admit them into the garden which he has made known and clear to them. They will be guided to their places in it and to their wives and servants there without needing to be directed. And this is the uh, verse number 6 in which Allah says uh, They will enter into the Jannah which is familiar to them. لهم, has been made known to them. Either that they will be made familiar with it or the tafsir that the author Rahimallah Ta'ala has chosen that they don't need to be shown it. It will be understood to them. And this is mentioned in the hadith in Al-Bukhari of Abu Hurairah which the Prophet said Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that indeed a person in Jannah 
will know their place better than they know their home in this world. You will know your home in Jannah better and you will be more familiar with it even though you've never been there before more than you're familiar with the how to get a home and your path towards your house in this world. And that is the meaning of this verse that Allah Azza will make it something that each person will know their place. So there is no dispute. There is no, no, that's my house and that's your house or this is my land and that's your land. Every person knows their place. And so there is no dispute over land or property and Allah knows best. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu in tamunusullaha yansukum wa yuthabbit aqdamakum You who believe, if you help Allah by supporting the deen of Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He will help you against your enemies and make your feet firm in battle Walladhina kafaru fata'sal lahum wa aghalla a'malahum But those who disbelieve will have utter ruin, destruction and loss from Allah And he will make their actions go astray and come to nothing ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ كَرِمُوا مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ فَأَحْبَطَ أَعْمَالَهُمْ That ruin and misguidance is because they hate what Allah has sent down with the Qur'an which contains obligations. So he has made their actions come to nothing. أَفَلَمْ يَسِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ فَيَنْظُرُوا كَيْفَ كَانَ عَاقِبَةُ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ Have they not travelled about the earth and seen the final fate of those before them? Allah destroyed them utterly. Have you not seen how he destroyed them, their children and their wealth? And those who disbelieved will suffer the same fate. That support of the believers and defeat of the unbelievers is because Allah is the protector and helper of those who believe. And because those who disbelieve have no protector. And verse number 11 is something which is mentioned in the Sunnah. The Hadith of Al-Bara' radiallahu anhu that after the battle of Uhud, when Abu Sufyan was boasting about his gods and his lords and, his, and, and how his gods and idols are greater and better. And Umar radiallahu anhu was shouting from the mountain that Allah Azzawajal is greater and better than all of his idols. From the things that the Muslims said to Abu Sufyan and the disbelievers is Allah is our Mawla and you have no Mawla. Allah is our protector and you have no protector. Allah will admit those who believe to gardens with rivers flowing under them. Those who disbelieve have their enjoyment in this world, eating as cattle eat, having no concern other than the filling their bellies and the indulging of their sexual appetites, so that they do not show any concern for the next world. But the fire will be their final residence. How many cities we have destroyed, meaning the inhabitants, greater in strength than your city, meaning the population of Mecca, which has driven you out, and there was no one to help them against our destructive power. Is someone on a clear path from his Lord, with clear evidence and proof, in other words, the believers, like those whose bad actions have been made to seem good to them, meaning the unbelievers, and who follow their own desires in respect of worshipping idols, there is no comparison between them. مثل الجنة التي وعد المتقون 
an image of the garden which is promised to those who are God-fearing, who will enter it. فِيهَا أَنْهَارٌ مِّمَّا غَيْرِ آسٍ In it, there are rivers of water which will never spoil. Right as Asin and Asin, unlike water in this world, which changes when something comes into contact with it. And rivers of milk whose taste will never change, unlike milk in this world, which goes, which goes sour after a time. And rivers of wine, delightful to all who drink it, unlike wine in this world, which is unpleasant to drink. And rivers of honey, of undiluted purity. Unlike honey in this world, which emerges from the bellies of bees mixed with wax and other things. In it, they will have fruit of every kind and forgiveness from their Lord. Is that, meaning people in this bliss, like those who will be in the fire, timelessly forever, with boiling water to drink, which lacerates their bowels? In verse number 15, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, The method of the Jannah, which is promised to those who are God-fearing. And the word method usually in the Arabic language means example, or it can mean a parable. But in this particular verse, what it means is description. So it is not an image, it is not a parable, it is not an example. This is actually what will happen in Jannah. It is actually from Jannah. This is a description of Jannah, these four different rivers that Allah mentions and in some narrations in hadith it is said that these are the four rivers of Jannah and from them other rivers, many other rivers will come and so the meaning of the word method in this context as mentioned in the books of Tafsir is not image or parable or example but rather the description it is the description of Jannah that has been promised to the muttaqeen among them, meaning the unbelievers, are those who listen to you in the Friday khutbah, meaning that they are hypocrites. And then, when they leave your presence, say to those who have been given knowledge, such as Ibn Mas'ud and Ibn Abbas, at mockery and derision, what was that he just said about the last hour? They are those whose hearts Allah has sealed off with unbelief and who follow their own desires in the hypocrisy. He, meaning Allah, increases in guidance those who are already guided, meaning the believers, and makes them God-fearing. He inspires them to safeguard themselves against the fire. What are they, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, awaiting but for the hour to come upon them suddenly? Its signs have already come, meaning some of its signs have already come, like the sending of the Prophet, وسلم, the splitting of the moon and the smoke. What good will they remind be to them when it, meaning the last hour, does arrive? then the reminder will be of no benefit to them. فَاعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Know then that there is no God except Allah. In other words, persist. Muhammad وسلم, in your knowledge of that which will be of benefit on the day of rising. وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكْ 
and ask forgiveness for your, for your wrongdoing because he was told that in spite of his immunity and protection from wrong action it became the sunnah for his community the Prophet وسلم, himself did that he said I ask forgiveness of Allah a hundred times every day and for the men and women who believe the believers are honored by Allah's command to their Prophet وسلم, to ask forgiveness for them Allah knows both your activity and your repose. Allah knows what you do when you are going about in your business in the day and when you retire to your beds in the night. This means that He knows all of your states and none of them are hidden from Him. So fear Allah and show caution. This is addressed both to the believers and others. In verse number 19, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِي ذَنْبِكَ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ and this is one of those verses that shows that you must have knowledge before you have action. Because Allah Azza wa begins with the issue of knowledge. Know, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala moves into the issue of action. And so it is important that when you worship Allah Azza wa Jalla, stand on knowledge. Otherwise, that knowledge or that worship may be incorrect. It may be done in a method which is not legislated in the sharia and so on. And so Allah Azza wa begins with that important issue. And the most important issue to have knowledge of is the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza wa says, وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكَ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ And seek forgiveness for your wrongdoing and for the believing men and the believing women. And that's why in our sunnah or in our sharia, many of the actions that we do, it is recommended that you make istighfar after them. To the extent that Allah Azza wa as we know, says in the Quran concerning, then when you leave after Arafah and you go to Muzdalifah, seek forgiveness from Allah Azza wa Because Arafah is the main pillar of Hajj. Once you've completed that, turn to Allah Azza wa and seek forgiveness. And after the prayer, after we finish the Salah and we make the Salam, we say Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. And so it is the attribute of the believer and from the etiquette of ibadah and worship to Allah Azza wa that you seek forgiveness after your actions and generally during the day as the Prophet would do. And that is because despite the best attempts that we have in terms of our deeds and actions, they are always deficient. And there is always something that requires istighfar or seeking forgiveness for. And there is no perfection in any of the deeds that we do, no matter how great your khushur, how great your attentiveness, how great your concentration. And that is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that when you offer a salah and sometimes you feel that your salah wasn't up to par, you didn't have the khushur that you would have liked, then you make istighfar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah azza wa forgives those discrepancies and those genuine mistakes that you made within your salah or your other acts of worship. And the Prophet ﷺ is commanded to make istighfar for the believing men and women from the companions radiyallahu anhum. And this is mentioned in the hadith in Sahih Muslim of Abdullah ibn Sarjis radiyallahu anhu. That he said that I once came and met the Prophet ﷺ, so he invited me to his house for food. And after we finished eating, he said, Should I seek Allah's forgiveness for you? So I said, Yes, O Messenger of Allah. And then he recited this verse. And that is a beautiful etiquette between Muslims. That we ask Allah to forgive one another. May Allah forgive you and forgive me. And that's why you find in some of the books of knowledge that the author Ta'ala will say, No, may Allah forgive me and you. And so they constantly make dua with this because it is the command that Allah Azza wa gives to us in the Quran. Those who believe say, when jihad is mentioned, if only a surah could be sent down. 
He speaks of jihad. فَإِذَا أُنزِلَتْ سُمْرَةٌ مُحْكَمَةٌ وَذُكِرَ فِيهَا الْقِتَامُ وَأَيْتَ الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَيْكَ نَظَرَ الْمَغْشِيِّ عَلَيْهِ مِنَ الْمَوْتِ But when the straightforward surah, meaning that none of it is abrogated, is sent down, and fighting is mentioned in it, as you asked, you see those with sickness in their hearts, meaning the hypocrites looking at you with the look of someone about to faint from fear of death, and dislike of it. This means that they fear and dislike fighting. فَأَوْلَى لَهُمْ More fitting for them. Would be obedience and honorable words. They should speak well to you. فَإِذَا عَزَمَ الْأَمْنُ فَلَوْ صَدَقُوا اللَّهَ لَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُمْ Once the matter is resolved upon, when it is necessary for them to fight, being true to Allah with respect to faith and obedience would be better for them. In verse 20 and 21 is also an example of the science of al-waqf al-ibtida' of starting and stopping. But it is slightly different to the examples that we gave before. The examples that we've given before is in the midst of a verse, in the middle of a verse, when do you start and stop? This is an example of at the end of a verse, because as you can see from the translation, the two verses are clearly linked. They are clearly linked, and there's a number of examples of this in the Qur'an, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will mention something, and then there is something mentioned after it. And so, and the two mean, and the two verses are clearly connected. In order for the meaning to be complete, you must continue to recite. And therefore, when you stop generally, as in if you're reading the Quran and you wish to close the Quran and stop, or if you're in salah and you're leading and you wish to stop at a place, you have to make sure that you don't stop and break what is a complete meaning or what cannot be a complete meaning except with the recitation of both of those verses. And that's why it's recommended that when you lead the prayer, that you stop at a place where it is good to stop. And then the scholars differ amongst themselves as to whether then, in those types of verses such as this, you should stop at the end of the verse, or if you should join. Because it is generally known that the Prophet ﷺ would stop at the end of every verse. He wouldn't read multiple verses in a single breath. He would stop. But what about verses like this? Should you stop? Or should you continue? And that is an issue where the scholars have differed. And this is something which we discussed in more detail when I was doing my Quranic progression classes. But the point is that both of those positions exist amongst the scholars. The main issue though is that your overall stopping and pausing isn't done in such a place where more fitting for them. What is more fitting for them? You've broken up the meaning of the verse. فَهَلْ عَسَيْتُمْ إِن تَوَلَّيْتُمْ أَن تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَتُقَطِّعُوا أَرْحَامَكُمْ Is it not likely, whether it's عَسَيْتُمْ and عَسِيْتُمْ, that if you did turn away from faith, you would cause corruption in the earth, meaning revert to the behavior of the jahiliyyah in terms of injustice and fighting, and sever your ties of kinship. أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ لَعَنَهُمُ اللَّهُ فَأَصَمَّهُمْ وَأَعْمَى أَبْصَارَهُمْ Such, meaning those who corrupt, are the people Allah has cursed, making them deaf to the truth and blinding their eyes to the path of guidance. Would they not then ponder the Qur'an and recognize the truth? Or are they locks upon their hearts so that they do not understand? And verse 24, Allah says, Will they not reflect and contemplate over the Qur'an or are their hearts locked and sealed? And a similar verse to this came in Surah An-Nisa. And the difference between tafsir and tadabbur is tafsir is to understand the meanings of the Qur'an. It is to unveil the meanings of the Qur'an. Whereas tadabbur is, what is, uh, is, is, what, is what is the final 
process in terms of reading and memorization and understanding. Contemplation is what comes at the end and that is what brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of taking those meanings and applying them in terms of knowledge and in terms of action. And so in order for a person to make complete and, and, and good contemplation of the Qur'an, they need to have understanding of tafsir. They need to understand what did the scholars say, what did the Prophet ﷺ say, what did the companions say concerning these verses of the Qur'an. As for making contemplation without that knowledge and without that basis and foundation, then that is when people make mistakes or when they come with very peculiar uh, tafasir and explanations and contemplations for the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that sometimes that the verse isn't referring to neither directly or even indirectly and so that is an important issue to remember when it comes to contemplation and contemplation is mentioned in the Quran and focused upon as opposed to recitation or memorization and other things because it is the final stage that is what we should aspire to so when Allah says why don't you contemplate the Quran it is understood that you have already read and memorized as much as you can and understood and studied now Allah is saying why don't you contemplate the Quran and that is in terms of giving people that motivation and aspiring them or making them aspire towards what is best so contemplation requires understanding of the Qur'an what the Qur'an refers to, what is the meaning of those verses that Allah is speaking about and when you have that then that contemplation is something which is amazing and it strengthens the heart and it brings a person closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but without that it is extremely difficult to contemplate and even that contemplation if it is done may sometimes be incorrect or it may lead to mistakes and Allah knows best إِنَّ الَّذِينَ ارْتَدُّوا عَلَىٰ أَدْبَارِهِمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُمُ الْهُدَى الشَّيْطَانُ سَوَّلَ لَهُمْ وَأَمْلَىٰ لَهُمْ Those who have turned back on their tracks through hypocrisy, after the guidance became clear to them, it was shaytan who talked them into it, meaning made that seem good to them, and filled, read as, أَمْلَىٰ and أُمْلِي them with false hopes. Shaytan does this by Allah's will, and so he misleads them. ذلك بأنهم قالوا للذين كرهوا ما نزل الله سنطيعكم في بعض الأمر. That misguidance is because they said to those idolaters who hate what Allah has sent down, we will obey you in part of the affair. In other words, they would help them in their opposition to the Prophet and try to keep people from doing jihad with him. They said that in secret, but Allah made it public. والله يعلم إسرارهم but Allah knows their secrets, read as أسرارهم and إسرارهم. The first being a plural and the second a verbal noun. فَكَيْفَ إِذَا تَوَفَّتْهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ يَضْرِبُونَ وُجُوهَهُمْ وَأَدْبَارَهُمْ How will it, meaning their state, be when the angels take them in death, beating their faces and their backs with iron hammers? ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمُ اتَّبَعُوا مَا أَسْخَطَ اللَّهَ وَكَرِمُوا رِضْوَانَهُ فَأَهْبَطَ أَعْمَالَهُمْ that, meaning dying in that state, is because they followed what angers Allah and hated what actions is pleasing to Him. So He made the action come to nothing. Or did those with sickness in their hearts imagine that Allah would not expose their malevolence? They showed their rancor and malice towards the Prophet and the believers. <coughs> وَلَوْ نَشَاءُ لَأَرَيْنَاكَهُمْ فَلَعَرَفْتَهُمْ بِسِيمَاهُمْ وَلَتَعْرِفَنَّهُمْ فِي لَحْنِ الْقَوْلِ If we wished, we would show them to you, meaning acquaint you with them, and you would know them by their mark, and know them by their ambivalent speech, meaning the way which they twist their words from their proper meanings in order to satirize the Muslims. وَاللَّهُ يَعْلَمُ أَعْمَالَكُمْ Allah knows your actions. 
ولنبلونكم حتى نعلم المجاهدين منكم والصابرين ونبلو أخباركم We will test read as نبلونا and يبلونا He will test you by means of jihad and other things until we know read as نعلم and يعلم He knows with clear knowledge the true fighters among you and those who are steadfast in jihad and other things and test read as نبلو and يبلو He tests what is reported of you regarding your obedience and disobedience in jihad and other things. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَصَدُّوا عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَشَاقُوا الرَّسُولَ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُمُ الْهُدَى لَنْ يَضُرُّ اللَّهَ شَيْئًا وَسَيُنْبِطُ أَعْمَالَهُمْ Those who disbelieve obstruct the way of Allah, meaning the way of the truth, and are entrenched in hostility towards the Messenger and opposition to him after the guidance, meaning the way of Allah, has become clear to them. Do not harm Allah in any way, and he will make their actions come to nothing. Their actions, such as the sadaqah they have given, will come to nothing, and so they will not see any reward for them in the next world. This was revealed about those who brought food to the enemy in the Battle of Badr, or about the tribes of Quraidah and Al-Nadir. يا أيها الذين آمنوا أطيعوا الله وأطيعوا الرسول ولا تبطلوا أعمالكم. You who believe, obey Allah and obey the Messenger, صلى الله عليه وسلم. Do not make your actions of no worth through disobedience. In verse number thirty-three, ولا تبطلوا أعمالكم. Do not make your actions of no worth through disobedience, meaning shirk, because shirk is what makes a person's actions null and void. And then those other things that are mentioned in the sunnah, such as adriya, showing off, and so on. And so it is not every act of disobedience that takes away a person's good deeds. But rather some of them destroy them and some of them may diminish them in terms of their reward. And so that is a clear distinction that needs to be made. Those who disbelieve and obstruct the way of Allah and then die as unbelievers, Allah will not forgive them. This was revealed about the people in the world into which the unbelievers killed and the battle of Badr were thrown. Do not become faint-hearted and call for peace, read as Salm and Silm, meaning conclude a peace treaty with the unbelievers when you meet them, when you are uppermost and winning. Allah is with you, helping you. He would never cheat you of the reward for your deeds. Occupation with the life of this world is merely a game and a diversion. If you believe and are God-fearing, meaning if you have fear of Allah in regard to the events of the next world, he will pay you your wages and not ask you for all your wealth, but only for the obligatory zakat due on it. If he did ask you for it and put you under pressure, and he asked you for a large amount, you would be tight-fisted and it would bring out your malevolence towards the deen of Islam. Here you are then, people who are called upon to spend what is obligatory for, for you in the way of Allah, and then some of you are tight-fisted. But whoever is tight-fisted is only tight-fisted towards himself. 
Allah is rich and has no need of your spending, and you are poor and in need of Him. If you turn away from obedience to Him, He will replace you with a people other than yourselves who will not turn away from obedience. And they will not be like you, but will obey Him. Surah Al Fath, Victory. This surah is Medina and was sent down on the road coming from Al Hudaybiyah. It contains 29 ayat. So this is the 48th surah of the Quran and it is called Surah Al-Fatih which means conquest or it means victory. And it is a Medinan surah by Ijma' of the scholars of Tafsir. A Medinan surah. And that is because this surah is the surah that refers to the treaty of Hudaybiyah. And in the hadith of Umar radiallahu in Al-Bukhari he says that we were once coming back on a journey with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And the journey is after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. So he said that I went and I asked him a question. And the Prophet didn't respond to me. And then after a while I went and asked him the same question a second time and he didn't respond to me. And then a third time he asked him the same question and he didn't respond. So I said to myself, Oh Umar, this is the message of Allah. You ask him and he ignores you. So then I left and I went towards the front of the army. And then after a while someone called me and said, Oh Umar, the Prophet is calling you. So then I went back thinking that either he will answer my question or he will rebuke me. But when I went, the Prophet said to me, Indeed Allah has revealed to me verses that are more beloved to me than anything. And he started to recite the opening passage of this surah, and that is Surah Al-Fatih. Yeah. Truly, we have granted you a clear victory, the conquest of Mecca and other places in the future by jihad. In the first verse, Allah says, Truly, we have granted you a clear victory. And there is a difference of opinion as to what the victory refers to. The position that the author has chosen, Rahimahullah, is that it refers to the conquest of Mecca. But the position of the majority of the scholars of Tafsir is that the victory being referred to is the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And that is the position of the majority of the scholars of Tafsir. And that is because the Surah primarily speaks about, in its context, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. The Treaty of Hudaybiyah is a victory that will lead to another victory and many other victories, including the conquest of Mecca. And the Treaty of Hudaybiyah takes place in the sixth year of the Hijrah, when the Prophet ﷺ decides that he will make Umrah with some 1400-odd companions. And they didn't dress for war, nor for battle. But instead they wore their ihram and they left out together, men and women and others, and they went towards Mecca to make Umrah, clearly, in the guise of ihram. Not only that, but they took with them sacrificial lambs with qala'id, with those garlands around their necks to show that they've only come for Umrah, not to fight. And the Arabs, the Quraysh, had this principle that they will never stop people coming from Umrah, even if there was beef between them, even if there were tribes and clans amongst the Arabs who had issues. But when it came to the house of Allah, no one would be barred. Because that was the meaning of being the custodians of the haram. You are custodians of it, you don't own it. You let people come and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet ﷺ comes, but the Quraysh, as we know, decide to bar him. So when they come to this place that is today known as Hudaybiyah, and even then it was known as Hudaybiyah, they come and they stop there. And then a number of back and forth takes place in terms of negotiations and in terms of terms that are being discussed. And there are a number of incidents that Allah will allude to that take place in the midst of that. The end result of this is a peace treaty. After years of fighting, the 13 years of Mecca, six odd years now in Medina, 
fighting and killing and wars and battles, the end result is that there is a peace treaty. The Muslims number 1400 and Allah through this peace treaty allows the Muslims then not to have to worry about killing and fighting and warfare and fearing for their lives and their property and their families but instead they can work on calling people to Allah. And by doing so, they are able to increase their numbers within two years from 1400 to approximately 10,000 at the time of the conquest of Mecca which shows that the purpose of this religion is to call people to Allah and not to wage war. And the issue of we need a khilafah or we need to establish dominance on earth militarily is not the position of the Prophet ﷺ or Islam because Allah favored this religion that is a means of calling people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah gave the believers this treaty. And that is what Allah then refers to because the journey that Umar is referring to is after the treaty of Hudaybiyyah. And Allah revealed these verses and the verses therefore referred to it as being the clear and great conquest. And Allah calls it a conquest because after it will be many things that will come in terms of a conquest. And that is why the Prophet is so pleased when he receives these verses because Allah is approving of his actions. And Allah is saying that that farsightedness that the Prophet had despite the treaty being detrimental against the Muslims and having all of its points in the favor of the Quraysh and the disbelievers, Allah says the farsightedness of the Prophet will lead to a manifest victory. لِيَغْفِرَ لَكَ اللَّهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِنْ ذَنْبِكَ وَمَا تَأَخَّرَ So that Allah may forgive you because of your jihad, your earlier errors and any later ones. This was in order to encourage the Muslims and to make them desire to fight jihad. And is also interpreted as referring to the immunity of the Prophets, peace and blessings be upon them, from wrong actions. And complete his blessing upon you by the conquest. And guide you on his straight path. To establish your family on the path of Allah, which is the deen of Islam. In verse number 2, Allah says, So that Allah may forgive you for your previous and later sins. And the scholars discuss what is the relevance and the connection between verses 1 and 2. In verse 1, Allah promises a victory for the believers. In verse 2, it is a command to seek forgiveness. And usually, when Allah Azzawajal, or when we, talk, we think about victory, it is a period of being happy and a period of rejoicing. And seeking forgiveness means that there has been some mistake that has been committed, some error that has been committed. So what is the relevance between the two? Two positions amongst the scholars. The first of them is what Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned. And that is that your victory and the conquest, whether it's the Treaty of Hudaybiyah or any other victory or conquest, demands from you that you turn to Allah in forgiveness. Because that is from the etiquettes of the believers. And that's why we said, even after accomplishing the great acts of worship that we do of hajj and prayer and so on, we seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We turn to Allah azza wa in forgiveness. That's the first tafsir. The second tafsir is the one that is chosen by other scholars. And that is that your conquest means that you must wage war and jihad. And jihad is a means of seeking forgiveness from Allah azza wa That Allah forgives people through that means. And Allah knows best. وَيَنْصُرَكَ اللَّهُ نَصْرًا عَزِيزًا And so that Allah may help you with a mighty help in which there is no abasement. وَالَّذِي أَنزَلَ السَّكِينَةَ فِي قُلُوبِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ لِيَزْدَادُوا إِيمَانًا مَعَ إِيمَانِهِمْ It is he who sent down serenity into the hearts of the believers, thereby increasing their belief with more belief in the laws of the deen. Whenever one of the laws was revealed, they believed in it. 
one such law was the command to fight jihad. وَلِلَّهِ جُنُودُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ The legions of the heaven and the earth belong to Allah. If Allah had wished to help his deen, he could have done so without any need for your support. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا Allah is all-knowing of his creation, all-wise in what he does, and that will always be the case. In verse number 4, هُوَ الَّذِي أَنزَلَ السَّكِينَةَ فِي قُلُوبِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ It is he who sends down, sent down serenity, tranquility into the hearts of the believers. And from that serenity on the day of Hudaybiyyah is that the fact that the Muslims were able to abide by the terms of the treaty and that they were accepting of what the Prophet ﷺ was doing, even though it was reported that some of them said that we were never tried and tested in our religion like we were tried and tested on the day of Hudaybiyyah because of how they saw the terms of the treaty being so unfavorable towards them. And they were like, we are Muslims, we believe in Allah, our religion is the truth, why are we then accepting this? treaty and these terms as was mentioned in the statement of Umar radiallahu anhu during that day. And Allah says that he sent down serenity upon them that they were able to accept it and trust in the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and trust in the promise of Allah azza wa jalla. So that through jihad he may admit the men and women of the believers into gardens with rivers flowing under them to remain in them timelessly forever and erase their bad actions from them. And in Allah's sight that is a mighty victory. Meaning in verse number 5 The greatest victory in the sight of Allah is the entering of Jannah the forgiveness of sins the expiating of mistakes. That is a greater victory in the sight of Allah then the victory of the land and conquering. And that is why there are prophets of Allah who were murdered and killed. And they weren't victorious. And there were prophets of Allah who were tortured. And prophets of Allah who were oppressed. And prophets of Allah who come without any followers. And victory in terms of the sight of Allah in the sight of Allah is not the victory that we think of in terms of our dunya and materialism and power and prestige. True victory is the victory of the akhirah, the victory of entering into Jannah. وَيُعَذِّبَ الْمُنَافِقِينَ وَالْمُنَافِقَاتِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ وَالْمُشْرِكَاتِ الظَّانِّينَ بِاللَّهِ ظَنَّ السَّوْءِ And so that he, he may punish the men and women of the hypocrites and the men and women of the idolaters, those who think bad thoughts about Allah, read as سَوْء and سُوء. They think that Allah will not help Muhammad وسلم, and the believers. عَلَيْهِمْ دَائِرَةُ السَّوْءِ he will suffer an evil turn of fate by abasement and punishment. Allah is angry with them and has cursed them by distancing them from His mercy and prepared hell for them. What an evil destination. In verse number 6, Allah says, They will suffer an evil turn of fate. The author Allah says by punishment, meaning that Allah will turn punishment upon them. And that is a position that was chosen by Imam Al-Tabari. Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Another tafsir which is the one that is chosen by Ibn Kathir. Rahimahullah. Is alayhim da'iratussaw. They will suffer the evil turn of fate. Meaning that what they plot and plan against the Muslims. Allah will turn their plots and plans against them. What they plot and plan. Allah turns it back against them. And that is another tafsir. وَلِلَّهِ جُنُودُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ the legions of the heavens and the earth belong to Allah. 
Allah is almighty in his kingdom or wise in what he does he have sent you bearing witness against your community at the resurrection, bringing good news to them in this world and giving warning to them about the fire on account of their evil deeds. So that you may all believe, read as Tu'minu and also Yu'minu, they might believe in Allah and His Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and honor Him, read as Tu'azziru and Yu'azziru, and respect Him, read as Tu'aqtiru and Yu'aqtiru, and glorify Him in the morning and the evening. In verse number 9, when Allah Azza wa Jalla says, Tu'minu billahi wa rasulihi wa tu'azziruhu wa tu'aqtiruhu wa tusabbihuhu bukratan wa asila. To believe in Allah and His Messenger and to honor and respect Him. And the author Taala, didn't really give a tafsir of this verse. But in the translation you can see that the translator has chosen the respect and honor in terms of who it is for as being Allah with a capital H. Meaning that it is reference to Allah Azzawajal, which is one position amongst the scholars of tafsir. That the honor and the respect are for Allah. The other position of tafsir which is mentioned by Imam Al-Tabari is that the honor and respect are for the Prophet wasallam. That you believe in Allah and His Messenger, so that you may honor Him, meaning the Prophet ﷺ. Respect Him, meaning the Prophet ﷺ. And the word ta'zir is more than to, to honor. To tawqir is to respect and honor. Ta'zir is to assist and help, so that you may believe in Him, assist Him and help Him, and then respect and honor Him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then that you glorify Allah. What to sabbihuhu, the last one, glorify Him, is clearly for Allah Azza wa Jal, because that tasbih is only for Allah. Those who pledge you their allegiance in the homage of Ridwan Hudaybiyah pledge allegiance to Allah Himself. This ayah is similar to whoever obeys the Messenger has obeyed Allah. Allah's hand is over their hands, the hands with which they gave allegiance to the Prophet. This means that Allah Almighty is looking at their allegiance and will reward them for it. He who breaks his pledge of allegiance only breaks it against himself and will experience the evil effects of that. But to him who fulfills the contract he has made with Allah, he read as yu'tihi, also read as nu'tihi, we will pay him, will pay an immense reward. And this verse number 10 is referring to the pledge that will take place and this will be mentioned inshallah ta'ala in a few verses time again in, in more detail. And Allah's hand is over the hands of the believers and that is uh, the meaning is correct what the author Muhammad ta'ala mentions but clearly it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hand and we affirm that hand for him in a manner which befits his majesty. سيقول لك المخلفون من الأعراب شغلتنا أموالنا وأهلونا فاستغفر لنا. Those desert Arabs around Medina who remained behind, those whom Allah kept from accompanying the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he asked them to go out with him to Mecca, but they were afraid that Quraysh would confront him in the year of Al-Fadabiyah. Will say to you when he returns from there, our wealth and families kept us occupied, so that they did not go out with him. So ask forgiveness of Allah for us. For they're not going out with him. Allah says to refute what they say. They say with their tongues in asking for forgiveness and the rest, what is not in their hearts. They are lying in the excuses. 
قل فمن يملك لكم من الله شيئا إن أراد بكم ضرا أو أراد بكم نفعا Say who can control Allah for you in any way Whether he wants harm, read as ضر and ضر for you or wants benefit for you بل كان الله بما تعملون خبيرا Allah is aware of what you do بل ظننتم أن لن ينقلب الرسول والمؤمنون إلى أهليهم أبدا No the preposition bel used here and many other places is employed to show a contrast with what has preceded. You thought that the Messenger وسلم, and the believers were not going to return to their families. And that seemed pleasing to your hearts. They wanted the Messenger وسلم, and the believers to be eliminated by being killed so that they would not return. And you thought evil thoughts. This and other things. And you were a blighted people, destroyed in the sight of Allah for thinking this. In verse number 12, the Bedouins or the hypocrites who disbelieved thought this because that is what the Quraysh were trying to do. They were trying to provoke the Muslims into some type of battle and fight so that they would be able to have a just cause in fighting them and destroying them. And so the Munafiqin refused to go out because they anticipated that this would be the case and that the Muslims would suffer a defeat. And so it was a testament to the resolve and the discipline of the Prophet ﷺ and the companions that they didn't succumb to the provocations of Quraysh. From those provocations is the terms of the treaty, very clearly. Or the fact that the Muslims have been told to go back and not make Umrah. Or the fact that they've been told that these are the terms, if you want them, you take them. Otherwise you leave. We don't care. We're not bothered either way. And from that provocation is after they signed the treaty, when some of those weak Muslims who are being imprisoned in Mecca are able to escape and they come seeking shelter and refuge from the Muslims that they take them back to Medina and the Prophet ﷺ has to return them. Provocation after provocation and so this is what the hypocrites thought would happen and what the Quraysh wanted to happen. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had a greater plan. <coughs> وَمَنْ لَمْ يُؤْمِنْ بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَإِنَّا أَعْتَدْنَا لِلْكَافِرِينَ سَعِيرًا Whoever does not believe in Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam we have prepared a fiercely blazing fire for the unbelievers. وَلِلَّهِ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ The kingdom of the heavens and the earth belongs to Allah. يَغْفِرُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيُعَذِّبُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ He forgives those he wills and punishes those he wills. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful. He is always described in this way. سَيَقُولُ الْمُخَلَّفُونَ إِذَا مُطَلَقْتُمْ إِلَى مَغَانِمَ لِتَأْخُذُوهَا ذَوْنَا نَتَّبِعْكُمْ يُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يُبَدِّنُوا كَلَامَ اللَّهِ When you go out to get the booty of Khaybar, those who remain behind will say, Allow us to follow you, so that we may get some of the booty, desiring to alter Allah's words, read as Kalam and Kalim. The promise of Allah about the beauty of Khaybar being especially for the people who had been at Hudaybiyyah. Say, you may not follow us. This is what Allah said before our return. They will say, it is only because you envy us, causing you not to want to give us anything from the portions which you have of the beauty. No, indeed, how little they have understood about the deen. Say 
Say to the Arabs mentioned above who remained behind, you will be called up against the people who possess great force. This is said to be a reference to the Banu Hanifa, the people of Yamama or Persia and the Romans, whom you must fight unless they submit. Then you do not fight them. If you obey and fight, Allah will give you an excellent reward. But if you turn your backs as you did before, he will punish you with a painful punishment. In verse number 16, Allah says, قُلْ لِلْمُخَلَّفِينَ مِنَ الْعَرَابِ سَتُدْعَوْنَ إِلَىٰ قَوْمٍ أُولِي بَأْسٍ شَدِيدٍ Say to the Arabs who remain behind, you will be called upon a great against the people who possess great force. And as you can see from the commentary of Al-Muhalli, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, that there is a wide difference of opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir as to who these people are. Is it Banu Hanifa, which is one of the, was one of the premier tribes of the Arabs? Was it the tribe of Thaqif? Was it Hawazin? Or was it not even the Arabs and it's referring to the Romans or the Persians or other than them? And some of the scholars said that it wasn't even something that had happened. It would come after the time of the Prophet ﷺ. mean that this is a prophecy that will take place in the future. And Allah Azza wa Jal there is no constraint on the blind, nor on the lame, nor on the sick, meaning nothing held against these categories for not doing jihad. He will admit, read as, and we will admit. All who obey Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam into gardens with rivers flowing under them. But He will punish, read as, and we will punish with a painful punishment anyone who turns his back. Allah was pleased with the believers when they pledged allegiance to you under the tree at Hudaybiyah. It was an acacia tree. They numbered 1300 or more. They gave allegiance on the basis that they would fight Quraysh and would not flee from death. <coughs> He, meaning Allah, knew what was in their hearts by way of truthfulness and fidelity and set down serenity to them and has rewarded them with an imminent victory. And the imminent victory was at Khaybar after they had left Hudaybiyah. In verse number 18, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ Allah is pleased with the believers who gave the pledge of allegiance to you under the tree. And then the author Rahman ta'ala mentions his commentary and he says that the companions were 1300 or more. And as I said previously, they were 1400. In the narration in Sahih Bukhari, which is obviously an authentic narration, the companion says that we were some 1400 in number. This refers to the pledge of Ridwan, Bay'atul Ridwan, it is called, because Allah says He is pleased with those who made this pledge of allegiance to the Prophet. So it is known as the pledge of pleasure, the pledge of allegiance that Allah is pleased with. And this refers to the rumor that was. Uh, was, was spread concerning the death of Uthman radiallahu anhu and that is that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was stopped in Hudaybiyah the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sought to send an emissary to the people of Mecca and so he chose initially Umar radiallahu anhu and he said to Umar go and be my emissary 
And this is because Umar in Jahiliyyah, before Islam, he and his family members were the emissaries of Quraysh. They would often be sent as messengers and as envoys. So the Prophet chose him because of his previous experience. Umar said, O Messenger of Allah, as for me, I have very little supporters in Mecca, meaning that my family, my tribe, is not from the bigger clans of, of Quraysh. Because amongst the companions, the likes of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam are from the, the big clans of Quraysh, the, the, the powerful ones, and Khalid ibn Walid and others. And then there are companions like Abu Bakr and Umar, whose clans and families are smaller, not as powerful. So Messenger of Allah sent Uthman, because Uthman is from the same family as Abu Sufyan. And Abu Sufyan is the leader of Quraysh and he will allow no harm to come to him. Both are from Banu Umayyah. So the Prophet ﷺ liked this advice of Umar So he sends Uthman. And Uthman goes and he enters upon Abu Sufyan. And Abu Sufyan welcomes him in a manner that is befitting someone that is a close family relative of his. Even though he's not going to give him what he wants. But one of the things that he says to Uthman is, the Muslims can't make Umrah, but you're here so you go and make Umrah. And Uthman says, I will never make Umrah unless and with the Prophet From the rumors that were then spread because he was delayed, Uthman was delayed in his return, was that they have killed him. So when the Prophet heard this, he ordered and commanded the companions as he was sitting under the shade of a tree to come and give him the pledge of allegiance, that they would fight and avenge the death of Uthman and so the companions came one at a time and they gave that pledge of allegiance. That is what is being referred to, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with them. And that is that those then 1400 odd companions have a special status in our religion. So when it comes to the companions, we have the four khulafa and we have the ten that were promised paradise and then you have the companions of Badr. And then after them are those companions, because the companions of Badr are some 300 odd, the people of Ridwan are next, the people of this Pledge of Allegiance. They are greater in status than those who would come after from the Muslims who accept Islam later after the conquest of Mecca and so on. And that is from the virtues that Allah Azza wa gave to these companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says He is the one who then caused serenity to come into their hearts. Ibn Qayyim Ta'ala says because of how difficult the situation was becoming. They've been told, give a pledge of allegiance to fight and die if necessary. And as we said in the state of Haram, they didn't bring their weapons, they didn't bring their armor, they're not ready for battle, now they've been told you have to fight. So Ibn Qayyim says, Allah says that He caused tranquility to descend upon their hearts because of the fear that they felt within them, which is natural because of the situation that they found themselves in. And others from amongst the scholars of Tafsir said that Allah says that He sent down tranquility upon them because of the Iman that they already had. Because of the strength of their Iman that they were able to give that pledge of allegiance in those circumstances, Allah rewarded them further, which shows that from the greatest means of attaining contentment and tranquility and serenity of the heart is by having strong Iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And with much beauty, which they will take at Khaybar. Allah is Almighty, all-wise. Allah has promised you much beauty with which you will take in conquest and has hastened this beauty at Khaybar for you and held people's hands back from you. 
meaning from harming your families, when you set out after the Jews plotted against you, but Allah cast fear into their hearts. And so that it, meaning its imminence, might be assigned to the believers, so they could be thankful for victory. And so that he might guide you in victory to a straight path, meaning the path of reliance on him and entrusting your affairs to him. And other beauty, meaning the wealth of the Persians and Byzantines, which you do not yet have the power to take. Allah has already encompassed it in knowledge and knows that you will take it. Allah has power over all things. In verse number 21, and the previous verses that have come, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about war beauty, the author takes the position that the first mention of this beauty refers to the Battle of Khaybar, because the Muslims would take a great deal of wealth by conquering Khaybar. And then the next one, which is mentioned in 21, refers to other types of victory that will come later on in terms of the Persians and the Byzantines and so on. And the reason why he mentions those two and he doesn't mention the conquest of Mecca is because the Muslims generally didn't take much in terms of, of booty in terms of the conquest of Mecca because the Prophet ﷺ gave safety to the people of Mecca and so he preserved for them their lives and their property and their wealth. And so the Muslims didn't take from the people of Mecca war booty. And that's why the author has chosen that position. But others from amongst the scholars of Tafsir such as At-Tabari said that verse 21 refers to the conquest of Mecca. And that the, the booty isn't necessarily wealth, but it is the booty of conquering Mecca and you know the, the, um, the honor that comes with that conquest. Another scholar said it refers to Hunayn. Another scholar such as Mujahid, ta'ala, the famous student of Ibn Abbas, عنهما, said that it is not defined by a certain event. And other booty that you never thought that you would take, meaning every other booty that you would take after the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah. And that includes everything that would come not only in the time of the Prophet وسلم, but after him as well. And Allah knows best. If those who disbelieved at Hudaybiyyah should fight you, they would turn their backs and then find no one to protect or help them. That is Allah's pattern, which has passed away before, meaning defeat for the unbelievers and victory for the believers. You will not find any changing in the pattern of Allah. It is he who held their hands back from you, and your hands from them in the valley of Mecca, meaning at Hudaybiyyah, after giving you the upper hand over them. Eight of them went around your army to get at you, and they were captured and brought to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, who pardoned them and let them go. That was the reason for the truce. Allah sees what you do, read as what they do. In verse number 24, the author mentions this incident, and this is from the provocations that the people of Quraysh did. And they had a number of them, and they only came to the treaty at the end when they saw that number one, the Muslims weren't going to be provoked, and number two, the other different Arab tribes that they were trying to bring in, the leaders, to show them and say to them, look at these people, they've come to provoke us, meaning the Quraysh are saying that the Muslims have come to provoke us, 
But those Arab leaders wouldn't take the side of Quraysh either. They said, look, they're clearly in the Haram. They've bought their sacrificial animals. They've come just to make Umrah. And the Quraysh, you've never stopped anyone from making Umrah, friend or foe. So why are you stopping them? Let them come and do their thing and let them leave. And so one of the provocations is what the author Taala mentions. But I think it is a mistake that he makes Taala in the original. And he says that there were eight of them. And what is correct and what is mentioned in the Russian Sahih Muslim is that there were 80 of them. 80 of them. And that is what is mentioned in the narrations of history as well. That from the provocations is that the Quraysh sent 80 men to go and attack the Muslims without being people that would be recognized as Quraysh. And then when the fighting starts, the Quraysh will think, okay, they're fighting, so let's go and fight. And they would have an excuse before the Arabs. But Allah says that He allowed you to know their situation and to capture them before they could start causing that evil and mischief, those 80 people. And then the Prophet ﷺ released them and sent them back to Mecca. So they were exposed and the Quraysh were embarrassed that they were trying those types of tactics because they became known of what they were trying to achieve. They are those who disbelieved and debarred you from Al-Masjid Al-Haram and prevented you from reaching it and prevented the sacrifice, meaning the sacrificial camels, from reaching its proper place where they are normally sacrificed within the confines of the Haram. Had it not been for some men and women who are believers, who are still in Mecca with the unbelievers, whom you did not know, of whose belief you are unaware, and might trample underfoot, you may slay them together with the unbelievers if you are given permission to conquer it, and so unknowingly incur blame on their account for the sin of killing them. So that Allah might admit to His mercy those He wills, such as those believers. لو تزينوا لعذبنا الذين كفروا منهم عذابا أليما. And had those among them, meaning the people of Mecca, who disbelieved, been clearly distinguishable from the believers, we would have punished them with a painful punishment by allowing you to conquer it. In verse number 25, Allah Azza wa Jal says, هم الذين كفروا وصدوكم عن المسجد الحرام والهدي معكوفا لن يبلغ محلة. They are those who disbelieved and barred you from reaching Al-Masjid Al-Haram and prevented the sacrificial animals from reaching their proper place, meaning of sacrifice. Because that was also one of the things that they tried to do, to stop them clearly coming, even though the Muslims were clearly there in the state of Ihram, with their sacrificial animals that had their garlands around their necks, showing that they only came for the Umrah, they started or they wanted to prevent them. And what is mentioned in Al-Bukhari in the narration of Al-Miswar ibn Makhramah, he says that from what the Quraysh attempted to do was to get the other Arab leaders that were close around Mecca to take the side of Quraysh against the Muslims, to say, yes, they've come to provoke you, you are free to kill them. You can kill them and fight them, and we'll take your side, and if the other Arabs come and complain, we will tell them that we were witnesses to that provocation. So what they tried to do was to get them on side. So they sent one of them, and this is the narration of Bukhari, one of them from the tribe of Banu Kinana, to go and speak to the Prophet ﷺ and to say to him, don't come and provoke. So when the Prophet ﷺ saw this man coming, he said to the companions, this is a man from the tribe of Banu Kinana. And Banu Kinana honor sacrificial animals. It is something which they greatly respect. So send the sacrificial animals in front. So they took the sacrificial animals and they released them in front of the companions. And when that man saw how many of them there were, 
it was enough for him. He turned and he went back to Mecca and he said, this is a man who has clearly only come, his companions have only come to perform Umrah. They have only come to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is from the wisdom and the political nuance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, understanding who that man was and what he wanted and how what he respected and what would make him pleased. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam responded in that way. Those who disbelieve fill their hearts with fanatical rage, meaning stubborn unbelief. The fanatical rage at the time of ignorance, which was demonstrated by their borrowing the Prophet ﷺ and his companions from al-Masjid al-Haram and by other things. And Allah sent down serenity upon his messenger ﷺ and to the believers. And they made peace with them on the basis that they could return the following year. And rage did not affect them as it did the unbelievers, causing the latter to fight them. And bound them, meaning the believers, to the expression of God-fearing, meaning the statement, There is no God but Allah, Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah, which is connected to being God-fearing because it is the reason for it. Which they had most right to and were most, most entitled to. They were more entitled to make that statement than the unbelievers. Allah has knowledge of all things. Allah always has knowledge of all things. And part of Allah's knowledge is that they were the most entitled to it. In verse 26, Allah says, Those who disbelieve fill their hearts with fanatical rage, the rage of the times of jahiliyyah. And the author Taala gives a general tafsir that refers to the general borrowing of the Prophet and the companions from the Haram. Ibn Kathir Taala and a number of other scholars of tafsir, they said that what it refers to is their stubbornness to even compromise with the Prophet in the smallest of issues when it came to the writing of the treaty. And the Prophet said to Ali radiallahu anhu was the scribe who was writing the treaty out. He said, write Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And they said, no, we don't accept this. We don't know these names are Rahman and Ar-Rahim. Write Bismillahumma in your name, O Allah. Even though, as we said before, the position of a number of the scholars is that they knew those names and were familiar with them and would use them to refer to Allah Azza wa Jal. But this is their arrogance and their stubbornness to even compromise to that amount. And then the Prophet said to Ali radiallahu anhu, write, this is the treaty that is between Muhammad, the messenger of Allah, and Suhail ibn Amr. And Suhail ibn Amr said, if we thought that you were the messenger of Allah, we wouldn't be fighting you. Rather write your name in the name of your father. And Ali radiallahu anhu refuses to rub it out. So the Prophet asks to him to show him whether it is said, and he rubs it out sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is what Ibn Kathir and number of the scholars say that it refers to. This is their stubbornness, in, in disbelief, in arrogance, in ignorance, that even in those smallest of issues, they were able to come and to even show that smallest type of of, of maneuvering and room for compromise. And Allah Azza wa says, but he made his religion and the companions and the Prophet Sallam people who had serenity. Allah has confirmed his messenger's vision with truth. In the year of Al-Hudaybiyah before he set out, the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had a dream that he and his companions would enter Mecca in safety, shaving their heads and cutting their hair short. He told his companions about it, and they were filled with joy. When the unbelievers blocked them at Al-Hudaybiyah, and they had to turn back, that was hard for them, and some of the hypocrites expressed their doubts. Then this was revealed. 
Mentioned for the blessing of it and confirming Allah's hand in it Shaving some of your heads completely And some of you merely cutting your hair without any fear فَعَلِمَ مَا لَمْ تَعْلَمُوا فَجَعَلَ مِن دُونِ ذَلِكَ فَتْحًا قَرِيبًا He knew what you did not know about the benefits of this truth and ordained in place of this thwarted entry to Mecca an imminent victory the conquest of Khaybar and the realization of the Prophet's vision وسلم, in the following year In this verse, verse number 27 Allah has confirmed his messenger's vision with the truth and the author ta'ala, then gives this statement and that is because the companions, as mentioned in that, in that discourse between Umar and the Messenger وسلم, when he said to him, O Messenger of Allah, did you not say that we will make Umrah? The Prophet said, but I never said this year, meaning that Allah told me that we will make Umrah, but he never guaranteed that it would be this year. And that is what the author ta'ala, is referring to. And we know then that the Prophet وسلم, after the battle or after the treaty is signed, and the Muslims are going to go back because from the terms of the treaty is that they can't make Umrah that year but they will come back in the following year, in the seventh year which is known as Umratul Qada the Umrah of Qada, the Umrah that is made up the Prophet ﷺ, after the treaty is signed and he wants to leave he says to the companions shave your head, sacrifice your animals come out of the state of Ihram and let's go home and then no one does anything so then he goes into his tent and he asks one of his wives anha. He is upset and she says, why are you upset? He said, because no one listened to my command. She said, O Messenger of Allah, they still hold hope in their hearts that perhaps they will be able to make Umrah. But if you go out and you start to shave your head and they see that, then they will follow. So the Prophet ﷺ went and he did so and the companions followed him. And what is mentioned at the end of this verse, And in place of this, Allah will give to you an imminent victory the author ta'ala, says it is Khaybar, which is as we've seen throughout the whole surah, he takes a position that all of these promises refer to the conquest of Khaybar. And that is the position of some of the scholars of Tafsir. But the position of the majority of the scholars is that the Fath and the victory that is being referred to here is the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah, as mentioned by Ibn Kathir and Ibn Qayyim and others, alayhim rahmatullah, that it is still Allah Azza is promising them the victory, that is the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah, he's still referring to it as the victory. وَالَّذِي أَرْسَلَ رَسُولَهُ بِالْهُدَى وَدِينِ الْحَقِّ لِيُظْهِرَهُ عَلَى الدِّينِ كُلِّهِ It is he who sent his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, with the guidance and the deen of truth, to exalt it over every other deen. وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ شَهِيدًا And Allah suffices as a witness, that you have been sent with what has been mentioned. مُحَمَّدٌ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ Muhammad is messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَالَّذِينَ مَعَهُ أَشِدَّاءُ عَلَى الْكُفَّارُ And those who are with him, meaning his companions among the believers, are fierce to the unbelievers, and do not show mercy to them. رُحَمَاءُ بَيْنَهُمْ Merciful to one another, gentle with one another, and showing mutual love as between parents and their children. تَرَاهُمْ رُكَّعًا سُجَّدًا يَبْتَغُونَ فَضْلًا مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَرِضْوَانًا you see them bowing and prostrating, seeking Allah's good favor and His pleasure. Their mark is on their faces, light and brightness by which they will be recognized in the next world since they prostrated themselves in this world. The traces of prostration. 
That is a likeness and description in the Torah. وَمَثَلُهُمْ فِي الْإِنْجِينِ كَزَرْعٍ أَخْرَجَ شَطَأَهُ فَآزَرَهُ فَاسْتَغْلَظَ فَاسْتَوَى عَلَى سُوْقِهِ يُعْجِبُ الزُّرَّاعَ لِيَغِيظَ بِهِمُ الْكُفَّارِ And the likeness in the Gospel is that of a seed which puts up a shoot, read as شَطَأَ and شَطَأَ and makes it strong, read as فَآزَرَهُ and فَأَزَرَهُ so that it thickens and grows up straight upon its stalk, filling the sowers with delight. When farmers see their crops like this, they are delighted by them because of their beauty. The companions, may Allah be pleased with them, are likened to, to that because they began as a few, and then became many, and were strong in the best human qualities. So that by them he may infuriate the unbelievers. The unbelievers are enraged that the believers are like that. وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ مِنْهُمْ مَغْفِرَةً وَأَجْرًا عَظِيمًا Allah has promised those of them who believe and do right actions, meaning the companions who are like that, forgiveness and an immense reward. Those who are like that, after them will also receive the same. In this last verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the status and the virtues of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa radiyallahu anhum ajma'een. And if we were to look through all of the stories of the Qur'an, in which the Prophet ﷺ is being told and given lessons about the different battles that he was involved in from Badr and Uhud and Hunayn and Tabuk and now the Treaty of Hudaybiyah and then the conquest of Mecca. You see in the example of the companions ajma'een, amazing attributes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions here. From them is their character and their gentleness and their mercy and their mutual love for one another and their mutual respect towards one another. And that is something which the companions were known for, radiyallahu anhum ajma'een. They genuinely wanted good for one another. And it was a community in which people helped one another and respected the rights of one another and wanted to benefit each other. And Allah Azza then says, and you see from them the marks of bowing and prostration, that they were people of worship and ibadah, and people who worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from what increased them in their iman and in their knowledge, is their servitude and their submission to Allah Azza wa Jal in ibadah. And that's why the scholars used to say that if you want to be strong in knowledge and strong in iman, then be like the companions and be strong in ibadah. Meaning that you look for opportunities to do ibadah and worship Allah Azza wa Jal and so you worship Him. And that is why the companions are known for fasting and for prayer and for charity and for the recitation of the Qur'an and for seeking knowledge and studying and so on. These are actions that they did because it brought them closer to Allah Azza wa And particularly the Salah because we know that from the ways in which the people of uh, the people will be recognizable to the Prophet Sallallahu on the Day of Judgment, his Ummah is from the markings of Wudu and Salah. The Prophet Sallallahu was asked to Messenger of Allah, how will you recognize your Ummah on the Day of Judgment? He said, غُرًّا مُحَجَّلِينَ مِنْ أَثَرِ الْوُضُوءِ They will have streaks of light emanating from their legs and their forearms from the remnants of Wudu, which shows you not only the virtue of Wudu, and it's, it's many rewards, but also that the wudu is a kinaya, it is a metaphor for the salah, because the wudu is made usually because of salah, and to be in a constant state of wudu is highly recommended. And then the Prophet ﷺ told us in the other hadith that how would the people of the fire be uh, recognized, the believers who are in the fire, who will be charred and burned by the fire. When Allah decrees eventually that they will be taken out, as is mentioned in a number of a hadith, from them is a hadith in which the people of Jannah will be asked, O oh people of Jannah, why is it that you are upset? And they will say, O oh Allah, because they were brothers of ours who we knew in the dunya. We do not see them with us, meaning that we cannot 
completely enjoy Jannah until they come into Jannah with us. So Allah Azza wa will tell them to go and He will tell them to take out the people of the five that they recognize. How will they be recognized? The Prophet said from the markings of sajda on their foreheads. Because the fire will consume everything. But it has been forbidden to consume the mark of prostration on the forehead. Which shows you the importance of salah. And the position then that the many scholars of old had. That the one who leaves salah and abandons it isn't from the people of Islam. Is based because of those many ahadith. And clearly there is more detail regarding the issue. But the point here being that that is because of these many ahadith. That that is one of the most recognizable traits of a Muslim. That they make sajda and they make sajda often, even if it is only just from the obligatory prayers. And so Allah Azza wa praises the companions for having that. And then their strength and their diversity and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them qualities. If you were to look at them, then each one of them is a leader in their own right, either in ibadah or in knowledge or in charity or in fighting or in leadership or in the many other skills that people differ in. The Prophet ﷺ was able to cultivate them as the farmer cultivates their land and brings the best from that land in terms of the vegetation and the plants that grow therein. And that is why Allah has given to them the greatest of reward. And their reward after the Prophet of Allah is greater than the reward of those who will come after. The Prophet said ﷺ that if one of you were to give the likes of the mountain of Uhud in gold, it will not, not, not equal what they gave as a handful. Radiallahu anhum ajma'een. Surah Al-Hujurat, the private quarters. This surah is Medinan and it has 18 ayat. So this is the 49th surah of the Quran, Surah Al-Hujurat. And the Hujurat refers to as author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, mentions the rooms and the private quarters of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam didn't live in a house in the way that we understand a house to be. As we mentioned in the verse in Surah Al-Azab, لَا تَدْخُلُوا بُيُوتِ النَّبِيِّ Don't enter into the homes or the houses of the Prophet The houses of the Prophet are not like the way we understand houses, they were simply rooms. And so they are often referred to as hujurat, which means a private room, a room for each one of his wives This story, or this surah rather, is a Madani surah, and that is by Ijma' and consists of the scholars of Tafsir, and it consists of 18 verses. And it is a surah that speaks about etiquettes, but primarily the etiquettes of the tongue and speech, and the importance of being careful about what we say and how we say it, and to whom we say what we say. And primarily that includes the Prophet and then by extension includes the way that we speak to one another. And so this is a surah that is extremely important in terms of what is one of the most common means of sin and disobedience. And that is what people say. And included in what you say is what you type and what you forward and what you send. All of that is from the speech that you forward and that you send and that you say. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us the importance of that issue in this surah. As the Prophet told us وسلم, in the hadith of Mu'ad radiallahu an, that the people will be driven into the fire because of what they say, their tongues. And Mu'ad radiallahu an said, O Messenger of Allah, will we be held accountable for what we say? The Prophet وسلم, said, May your mother be bereaved of you, O Mu'ad. And do you think that the people will be dragged on their fire and thrown, dragged on their faces and thrown into the fire except as a result of the words that they utter? بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا لا تقدموا بين يدي الله ورسوله You who believe, do not put yourselves forward in front of Allah and of His Messenger Meaning, do not act or speak before Allah and His Messenger who conveys His message In other words, without their permission وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ And be fearful of Allah 
Allah is all hearing of your words, all knowing of your actions. This was revealed about a disagreement between Abu Bakr and Umar. May Allah be pleased with both of them, which took place in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ about whether to put Al Aqra ibn Habis or Al Qa'qa ibn Ma'bad in command. And this is the first verse of Surah Al Hujurat. Don't put yourselves ahead of, in front of Allah and His Messenger ﷺ, meaning in terms of speech. Don't speak out of time. Don't put your views and opinions before the views and the statements of Allah or of His Prophet And Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, as he often does, has some very poignant points and beautiful um, reflections on these verses. And from what he mentions is that if this is the prohibition of speaking out of turn in front of Allah and His Prophet that is speech, simply speaking, then what about those people who put their intellect before what Allah says and what the Prophet says. Allah doesn't even go to that extent. He says even your speech shouldn't be put before them, let alone you having your mind and your rationale and your intellect becoming what is more important than what Allah and His Prophet mentioned sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This story that is mentioned here by the author rahimahullah ta'ala is in the narration of Sahih al-Bukhari that a tribe, a delegation came from the tribe of Banu Tamim. Banu Tamim. They came to Medina to sit with the Prophet and so Abu Bakr and Umar differed as to who from amongst the tribe and the delegation should be the one to speak on their behalf. So one of them chose Al-Aqra ibn Habis and the other one chose Al-Qa'qa ibn Ma'bad to be the leaders and because they differed, Abu Bakr chose first and he said Al-Aqra and then Umar differed with him so Abu Bakr said to him in the narration in Al-Bukhari, he said you only did this to oppose me meaning that I chose a person so you chose someone else just to be different and so they began to argue and this will continue this, um, this uh, cause of revelation is not just for verse number one but for the first four or five verses in this surah verse two then this was revealed about anyone who raises his voice in the presence of the Prophet يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَغْفَعُوا أَصْوَاتَكُمْ فَوْقَ صَوْتِ النَّبِيِّ You who believe, do not raise your voices when you speak above the voice of the Prophet ﷺ when he speaks. وَلَا تَجْهَرُوا لَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ كَجَهْرِ بَعْضِكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ And do not be as loud when speaking privately to him as you are when speaking to one another to show respect to him. أَن تَحْبَطَ أَعْمَالُكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُونَ lest your actions should come to nothing by your doing so without your realizing it. This was revealed about those who used to lower their voices in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ, such as Abu Bakr, Umar and others. May Allah be pleased with them. So in verse number 2, Allah then tells us not to raise our voices. The first verse, don't put yourself before them. The second one is don't raise your voices above them, meaning you lower your voices, you speak with respect when it comes to the book of Allah and the Prophet ﷺ. And clearly in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, it is with him. And after his death, it is in what he left behind in terms of the sunnah. And so from the respect of knowledge is that when you're sitting and you're listening to the Qur'an, like the tafsir or hadith, then you lower your voices. You don't raise your voices over and above them. And you pay attention to them and you listen to them. And that is because in this incident that we mentioned in Bukhari, the companions began to raise their voices. And as we mentioned before, just as the Prophets of Allah learn from the etiquette that Allah gives to them in the Qur'an, likewise the companions, radiallahu anhu learn from those etiquettes. And so they wouldn't raise their voices after this. And that's why in the final days of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, 
when the companions, some of them are entered upon the Prophet and he's ill, and they begin to raise their voices because of a dispute, Umar is the one who takes the lesson and he says, get up all of you and leave. It is not befitting that you should raise your voices in the presence of the Prophet And that is always the benefit of knowledge, that when Allah gives us an instruction, we try our utmost to abide by it. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَغُضُّونَ أَصْوَاتَهُمْ عِنْدَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ امْتَحَنَ اللَّهُ قُلُوبَهُمْ لِلتَّقْوَىٰ Those who lower their voices when they are with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are people whose hearts Allah has tested for fearfulness of Him so that their fearfulness of Him becomes evident. لَهُمْ مَغْفِرَةٌ وَأَجْرٌ عَظِيمٌ they will have forgiveness and an immense reward, meaning paradise. And in verse number 3, Allah says, They are those people that Allah has tested. What does it mean that He tested? That's the literal translation. It means that Allah has purified their hearts and chosen them, for being as, uh, chosen them to be the people of taqwa. That's what it means. Does it mean that literally test them with taqwa? It means that Allah has purified their hearts and filled their hearts with taqwa, as mentioned by Al-Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullahu ta'ala Verse 4 Then this was revealed about some people who came at midday while the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was in his house and called out to him إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُنَادُونَكَ مِنْ وَرَاءِ الْحُجُرَاتِ As for those who call out to you from outside your private quarters meaning the rooms of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ. They used to call to him from behind the wall because they did not know which room he was in. The desert Arabs did this out of their coarseness and rudeness. Most of them do not use their intellect and understand that what they do is incompatible with respect for him. If they had only been patient until you came out to them, it would have been better for them. But Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful to those of them who repented. In these verses, verses 4 and 5, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about another important issue and that is that they were from amongst them and they said that this is the same man from Banu Tamim, one of them by the name of Al-Aqra ibn Habis. When he came to speak to the Prophet not knowing which one of his rooms he was in, he started to call. O Messenger of Allah, O Muhammad, come out, come out. And so he's calling and he's raising his voice. And Allah says that they don't know. And that's because many of those Arab tribes, they were Bedouins. And the Bedouins don't have that same type of refined uh, character and etiquette and understanding of social etiquettes because they live in the desert and their nature is to be more coarse and more rough in that regard. But Allah says rather what was more befitting is that he asks once and then he's patient and waits. And when the Prophet is ready, he would come out to him. Maybe the Prophet is busy. Maybe he's preoccupied. And so he waits and has patience. In verse number 5 the uh, the statement this was revealed about Al-Walid ibn Uqba and the rest of that uh, that paragraph is the cause of revelation for verse number 6. So it's not part of verse number 5 which is why I stopped Ismail. That is this was revealed about Al-Walid ibn Uqba the Prophet ﷺ sent him to Banu al-Mustaliq and so on. That is the cause of revelation for verse number 6. This was revealed about Al-Walid ibn Uqba Prophet ﷺ sent him to the Banu al-Mustaliq to take their zakat. He feared them because of their vendetta from the time of the Jahiliyyah. He returned and said that they had refused to pay their zakat and had tried to kill him. The Prophet ﷺ intended to attack them, but they came and denied what Al-Walid had said about them. And so the following was revealed. 
يا أيها الذين آمنوا إن جاءكم فاسق بنبأ فتبينوا You who believe that if a deviator brings you a report, scrutinize it carefully. Read as tabayyanu and also tathabbatu, from the root to make firm, to ascertain whether it is true or a lie. In case you attack people in ignorance, out of fear that you might assault a people wrongly. And so come to greatly regret what you have done, meaning your mistaken attack. The Prophet وسلم, said Khalid to them after they had returned to their land. He only experienced obedience and good from them and reported that to the Prophet This is the cause of revelation for verse number 6. And verse number 6 is that if someone comes to you with news that requires verification that you verify before you forward it on, before you send it on, before you spread it to others, you make sure that that news is correct and it is true. Whether it's from the internet or any other source, it is your duty and not the duty of other people, your duty to make sure that what you say is correct and verified before you spread it and forward it and pass it on to others. And the cause of revelation, therefore, is the reason for this. And this narration is mentioned in a number of books of hadith and tafsir. And it is mentioned in a number of narrations. Each one of them individually is weak. But together, the scholars have accepted them to the extent that Ibn Abdul Bar. Rahimahullah Ta'ala, the famous scholar, said, by ijma' of the scholars of tafsir, this is the cause of revelation for this verse. And that is because the scholars of tafsir look at all of those different narrations as they come together. It is said that this man, Al-Walid, Ibn Uqba, Ibn Abi Mu'id, radiyallahu an, was a new Muslim. And the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam told him to go and seek and, and collect the zakah money from the tribe of Banu Mustariq. And so when he went to collect the zakah, before he arrived there, he remembered the vendetta that he had and his family had with those people. And so instead of going there out of fear that perhaps if he arrives they will do him some harm, he turns back. And he comes and he says, the message of Allah, they refused. So because they refused, the Prophet ﷺ sends Khalid ibn Walid with an army to go and to fight them. So when Khalid ibn Walid arrives, they say, why have you come with an army? What's gone on? And he says, you refused the cast, so we're going to fight you. He says, we never refused. They said, we never refused. He said, Uqba, Walid ibn Uqba came. They said, he never came to us. And so the Prophet ﷺ realized that he had done this. And that is why, um, uh, that is why the, the scholars say that it is important to seek that news. When Allah says, therefore, in Ja'akum Fasiq, if a deviator comes to you, that's the general ruling. And it's not referring to a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. Or the meaning is that that action of his was misguided. So what he did was incorrect in terms of that action that he did. وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ فِيكُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Know that the Messenger of Allah is among you. Do not give false reports because Allah will inform him of the matter. لَوْ يُطِيعُكُمْ فِي كَثِيرٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْرِ لَعَنِتُمْ If he were to obey you in many things which you tell him, which are different from the truth of the matter, you would suffer for it by incurring the sin of its consequences. وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانَ وَزَيَّنَهُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ وَكَرَّهَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْكُفْرَ وَالْفُسُوقَ وَالْعِصْيَانَ But Allah has given you love of belief and made it pleasing to your hearts and has made unbelief, deviance and disobedience hateful to, hateful to you. أُولَئِكَ هُمُ الرَّاشِدُونَ People such as these are rightly guided and are firm in their deen. In verse number 7, Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانِ It is Allah who gave you the love of belief. Ibn Kathir, Rahimullah Ta'ala, and Ibn Qayyim and others mention 
that therefore from the greatest blessings of Allah is that it is Allah who gives you Iman and Allah who makes you love that Iman and want more of it and understand how precious it is and so Allah Azza wa Jal says here that it is not you who take Iman, earn Iman it is Allah who bestows it upon you it's a great favor from Allah and a blessing. Allah is all knowing of them, all wise in bestowing blessing on them. If two parties of the believers fight, the plural rather than the dual is used for the verb fight because a party includes a number of people and so is considered to have a plural rather than singular meaning. Make peace between them. This ayah was revealed about a case in which the Prophet ﷺ rode a donkey and passed by Ibn Ubay. The donkey urinated and Ibn Ubay held his nose. Ibn Rawaha said, By Allah, the urine of his donkey is more fragrant than your musk. Words were exchanged between the two groups of people and they began to hit one another with their hands, sandals and palm branches. فَإِن بَغَتْ إِحْدَاهُمَا عَلَى الْأُخْرَى فَقَاتِلُوا الَّتِي تَبْغِي حَتَّى تَفِيءَ إِلَىٰ أَمْرِ اللَّهِ If one of them attacks the other unjustly, fight the attackers until they revert to Allah's command, meaning the truth. فَإِن فَاءَتْ فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا بِالْعَادِرِ وَأَقْسِطُوا If they revert, make peace between them with justice and be even-handed. Allah loves those who are even-handed. In this, uh, in this narration that the author Muhammad Taala mentions as the cause of revelation, is an authentic hadith. It's the hadith of Anas radiAllahu anhu in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. The believers are brothers in the deen, so make peace between your brothers, read as akhawaykum and ikhwatikum, in any disputes they have. And be fearful of Allah so that perhaps you may gain mercy. Verse 11. This ayah was revealed about the delegation of Tamim when they mocked the poor Muslims, such as Ammar and Suhaib. You who believe, people should not ridicule, meaning truth with mockery and derision. Others who may be better than themselves in the sight of Allah. Nor should any women ridicule other women who may be better than themselves. And do not find fault with one another or insult each other with derogatory nicknames, names which the person dislikes, such as O Deviant and O Unbeliever. <coughs> How evil it is to have a name for evil conduct, because of ridicule, fault finding and insults, after coming to believe. This sort of mockery and insinuation are very evil. Those people who do not turn from it are wrongdoers. In verse number 11, the generation of Abu Dawood in Tirmidhi shows that the cause of this verse, this revelation, is more general than what the author Ta'ala mentioned. And it doesn't refer to the disbelievers mocking the believers, but rather even the believers amongst themselves. And that is that the narration says in Abu Dawood and Tirmidhi that we would often have amongst us people who had three or four names that they were known by. Some of those names they would like and some of them those people would dislike. And so people would often use the ones that they dislike as well as the ones that they like. And so Al-Imam, as Allah Azza revealed this verse, don't call people by names that they dislike. And that's why it's reported 
uh, among some of the scholars of, of, of hadith, the narrators of hadith, some of them would dislike the names that they became famous by. And Imam Shafi'i ta'ala, when referring to such narrators would say, the narrator who's known by such and such, rather than just calling him his name because of respect of this verse. At the end Allah says, Those who do not repent are from the wrongdoers. Turn away, turn from it, meaning repent. Make tawbah. Ibn Qayyim ta'ala, says this verse shows that there are only two people then. No third. Either you make tawbah or you are from the oppressors. يا أيها الذين آمنوا اجتنبوا كثيرا من الظن إن بعض الظن إثم You who believe avoid most suspicion Indeed some suspicion is a crime In fact much of it is As for instance having a bad opinion of the people of good among the believers Who are the majority of them Whereas the deviants among them are few There is no sin in mentioning what the deviants do publicly ولا تجسسوا And do not spy which means seeking out the faults and shortcomings of Muslims by investigating them. And do not backbite one another by mentioning anything about someone which you would dislike, even if it is true. Would any of you like to eat his brother's dead flesh, red as, meita and mayita? No, you would hate it. Backbiting him while he is alive is like eating his flesh after he is dead. As you detest the idea of the latter, you should also detest the former. And be fearful of Allah, meaning fear the punishment of Allah, and avoid slander by repenting of it. Allah is ever relenting, accepting the repentance of those who repent, most merciful to them. Mankind, we created you from a male and female, meaning Adam and Hawa. And made you into peoples. The word shurub, peoples, the plural of sha' represents the broadest type of affiliation between people and tribes. The word qabail, tribes, the plural of qabila, is the next level down. Then comes sub-tribes, amail, then butun, then abqad, and then tasail. An example of this is that Khuzayma is a people, Kinana is a tribe, Quraysh is an imara, Qusay is a batn, Hashim is a fakht, and Al-Abbas is a fasila. So that you might come to know each other and not boast about high lineage when it is only by being more God-fearing that one person can be considered better than another. Because The noblest among you in Allah's sight is the one who is most God-fearing. Allah is all-knowing, all-aware of your inward. The desert Arabs, specifically a group of the Banu Asr, say, We believe in our hearts. Say to them, You do not believe. Say, Rather, we have become Muslim outwardly, for belief has not yet entered into your hearts. If you obey Allah and His Messenger, وسلم, by faith and in other ways, He will not undervalue, read as, يلتكم, and يلتكم, the reward for your actions in any way. Allah is ever forgiving to the believers, most merciful to them. In verse number 14, this is a clear sign, therefore, then that there is a marked difference between Islam and Iman, especially when they are mentioned together. 
if they're mentioned separately, Islam includes Iman, and Iman includes Islam. But when mentioned together, such as in the hadith of Jibreel alayhi salam, when he comes, the famous hadith of Umar radiallahu an, there is a marked difference. These people claim to have Iman, Allah says, no, you have Islam, meaning that you have the basic level, that you do the outward actions, but Iman, in terms of the essence of Iman, is yet to settle deeply within your hearts. Another scholar said what is being referred to here is that they don't have complete Iman, but that the Iman is weak, and Allah knows best. But the first opinion is the one that Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin and Shaqeet rahimahullah chose. إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَرْتَابُوا وَجَاهَدُوا بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ وَأَنفُسِهِمْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ The true believers are only those who believe in Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and then have had no doubt regarding their faith and have done jihad with their wealth and themselves in the way of Allah. Their jihad displays the sincerity of their faith. أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الصَّادِقُونَ They are the ones who are true to their word in their faith. Not those who say we believe, but in whom nothing more than Islam exists in. قُلْ أَتُعَلِّمُونَ اللَّهَ بِدِينِكُمْ وَاللَّهُ يَعْلَمُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ Say to them, do you presume to teach Allah your deen when Allah knows everything in the heavens and everything in the earth? وَاللَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٍ Allah has knowledge of all things. يَمُنُّونَ عَلَيْكَ أَنْ أَسْلَمُوا They think they have done you a favor by becoming Muslims. Without fighting, as opposed to others who became Muslim after fighting him. Say, do not consider your Islam a favor to me. No, indeed, it is Allah who has favored you by guiding you to believe if you are telling the truth and by saying that you believe. Allah knows the unseen things of the heavens and the earth. وَاللَّهُ بَصِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ Allah sees what you do, read as تَعْمَلُونَ and يَعْمَلُونَ What they do, meaning nothing is hidden from Him. Surah Qaf This surah is Meccan, except Ayah 38, which is Medinan. It has 45 ayat. So Surah Qaf is the 50th surah of the Qur'an. And it is as the author Ta'ala says, in Mecca's surah in the opinion of the vast majority of the scholars of Islam, and it is one of the surahs that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would often recite on the minbar. In the hadith of Al-Haritha bin Nu'man, he says that I only memorize surah Qaf from the amount of times the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would read it on the minbar on Friday. Meaning his Jum'ah khutbah would be the recitation of surah Qaf. And he would also sallallahu alayhi wa sallam read this surah in the Eid prayer. It is one of the surahs that he would read on the day of Eid sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this surah is the surah that is known amongst the scholars as being the first of the Mufassal. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in his salahs in Fajr, in Maghrib, in Isha, the Lord prayers would often read from the Mufassal. And the Mufassal are the surahs starting from Qaf until the end of the Qur'an. And they are of three categories, subcategories. The Tiwar al-Mufassal, the Awsat al-Mufassal and the Qisar al-Mufassal. The long Mufassal is from Surah Qaf until the beginning of the 30th Juz. They are known as the long Mufassal and they are the ones that the Prophet would usually choose in his Fajr prayer. Then you have the Awsat al-Mufassal which is the middle Mufassal from Surah Al-Naba which is the beginning of the 30th Juz until Surah Al-Duha. They are the middle Mufassal and they are the ones that the Prophet would usually choose from in his Isha prayer. And then the Qisar al-Mufassal are from Duha to Nas and they are the ones that he would often recite from in his Maghrib prayer. That is showing you generally the length of the Salah of the Prophet for those three Salahs. And clearly there are exceptions to them that he would read other Surahs or some of the longer ones in Maghrib and so on. But generally speaking, that is the case. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. 
Allah knows best what the letter means. By the glorious Quran. The Quran is noble even though the unbelievers of Mecca did not believe in Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah makes an oath by the Quran. And as we said before, when Allah takes an oath, as we mentioned in Surah Safat and elsewhere, when He makes an oath, what is the oath that is being made by? Some of the scholars said, such as Ibn Qayyim, that Allah makes an oath by the Quran for the Quran. Allah swears by the Quran as to the truthfulness of the Quran. Others from amongst them said that it is referring to the issue of resurrection. And others from amongst them said that it was referring to the truthfulness of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. بَلْ عَجِبُوا أَنْ مِّنْهُمْ Nonetheless, they are amazed that a warner, meaning a messenger, who frightens them about the fire after the resurrection should have come to them from among themselves. فَقَالَ الْكَافِرُونَ هَذَا شَيْءٌ عَجِيبٌ And those who disbelieve say, what an extraordinary thing this warning is. أَإِذَا مِتْنَا وَكُنَّا تُرَابًا When we are dead and turn to dust, that would be a most unlikely return. We know exactly how the earth eats them away. We possess an all-preserving book, meaning the preserved tablet which contains all decreed things. But they denied the truth about the Prophet and the Quran when it came to them. They are, therefore, in a very muddled state. Sometimes they said that he was a magician and the Qur'an magic. Sometimes that he was a poet and the Qur'an poetry. And sometimes that he was a soothsayer and the Qur'an soothsaying. Have they not looked at the sky above them with their eyes while reflecting with their intellects when they denied the resurrection? How we structured it without support and made it beautiful with stars and how there are no fishes in it to mar it. And the earth. How we stretched it out on the surface of the water and cast firmly embedded mountains onto it to make it firm and caused luxuriant beautiful plants of every kind to grow in it. An instruction and a reminder for every penitent human being. Allah did that so, so Allah did that so that people would see and to remind people to return to obedience to Him. And we sent down blessed, meaning the great, that great blessing results from it, water from the sky, and made gardens grow by it, and grain for harvesting. And soaring, very tall, date palms, with laid spathers. Their spathers are joined one to another. As provision for our slaves. By it we brought a dead land to life. That bringing to life is how the emergence from the graves will take place. How then can you deny it? When people look at these things and reflect on them, they should be able to understand what happens on the last day. Kathabat Qabalahum Qawmu Nuhim wa Ashabu Rasi wa Thamud. 
Thamud. Before them, the people of Nuh also denied the truth, and the companions of Ras and Thamud. Ras was a well around which they stayed with their flocks, worshipping idols. It is said that their prophet was Hamdala ibn Safwan. It is also said that it is someone else. Thamud were the people of Salih. In verse number 12, we already covered this. Kadabat qablahum qawmu Nuhin wa ashabur Ras. The people of the Ras and that the scholars differed concerning them and who they were. And we said that from them is this opinion that they were a people who had a well and they were the people who dropped their prophet into that well. And others from amongst them said it is the people of the ditch, meaning Ashabul Khdud. And there are other opinions amongst the scholars of Tafsir. Allah Azza in the Quran mentions them in passing in this way as one of the nations of the past without going into detail concerning who their prophet was or what their story was. <coughs> And the people of Hud and Pharaoh and the brothers of Lut. Allah Azza in this verse he calls the people of Lut Lut, the brothers of Lut. And some of the scholars say that is because, as Allah mentions elsewhere, that Allah Azza wa calls, calls uh, Lut their brother. Lut is their brother, so they are the brothers of Lut, meaning his people. And some of the scholars said that there was a relationship between the tribe of, or the nation of Ibrahim and the nation of Lut. They were related to one another. They had some far distant relationship. And so therefore, brother, as in there is a blood relation between them as well. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. And the companions of the thicket, meaning the people of Shu'ib and the people of Tubba. Tubba was a king in Yemen who became Muslim and called his people to Islam, but they rejected him. Each one of those mentioned denied the messengers as Quraysh had done. And my threat proved true. The descent of the punishment was mandatory for all of them. So do not be grieved by the fact that Quraysh reject you. And again in verse 14, the people of Tuba, we mentioned Tuba is a place in Yemen. And Allah knows best concerning this person, but the many scholars are of the opinion that he was a righteous man. And Abd and Salih and Allah refers to him as that in that regard. Were we exhausted by the first creation? Allah was not tired by it, so He would certainly not be tired by regenerating it. Yet they are dubious about new creation on the day of resurrection. Also in verse 14, Allah says, Allah's threat is always true. Because some of the sects say that Allah is only truthful in His promises, meaning Allah never breaks His promise. But when it comes to his threats, Allah may break them because that is not a bad thing to break. When you threaten to punish someone and then you don't punish them, that's a good thing. So Allah will always fulfill his promises, but his threats to punish people, sometimes he doesn't do. And this verse refutes that. Allah says, Allah's threats are always true. So when Allah threatens punishment, whether it's for some of the Muslims or for the disbelievers, those threats of punishment are always true. Unless Allah chooses to forgive the believers because of their iman. But the threat of Allah remains true. We created man and we know what his own self whispers to him. We are nearer to him in our knowledge than his jugular vein. In this verse, verse number 16, We are nearer to him in our knowledge than his jugular vein. Our knowledge, this is the opinion of some of the scholars of tafsir. That is referring to Allah, and therefore Allah is close to a person in terms of his knowledge, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The other position, and the one that was favored by Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, Ibn Kathir, and others, is that the verse isn't referring to Allah, but the angels. 
and it is the angels that are closer to them, meaning the ones that will record the deeds. And Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, greatly supported that position. And he said the reason why is because the context of these verses doesn't speak about Allah, but it speaks about the angels. What will come after? Allah created mankind. Then everything else in the next few verses is about the angels and they're recording the deeds and so on. So what is closer to man than his own jugular vein? The angels that Allah has placed upon us as watchers and witnesses and ones that record our deeds. إذ يتلقى المتلقيان عن اليمين وعن الشمال قعيد. And it is said that remember is implied here the two recording angels, the two angels entrusted to man who register and confirm what he does, are recording, sitting on the right and on the left. In verse number 17, Allah says إذ يتلقى المتلقيان عن اليمين وعن الشمال قعيد. These two angels that sit on the right and the left and they record everything. The scholars of Tafsir differ as to what it is that these angels record. Do they record every single action that we perform? Or do they only record what either a person will be rewarded for or be punished for? From amongst the companions uh, and, and the early scholars of Tafsir, are scholars who hold either position. Some of them said the angels record everything. Everything you do, every small thing. And that is because Allah describes the record of coming as a day that doesn't leave out anything small or anything big. And others from amongst the scholars of Tafsir said, no, they only record what will either bring some reward or punishment. So if you're eating, for example, they don't record your eating. It doesn't necessarily, unless it has some form of element of reward or punishment within it, it just is not recorded. If it's just something which is neutral. That was the position also that was held amongst the scholars and Allah knows best. ما يلفظ من قول إلا لديه رقيب عتيد. He does not utter a single word without a watcher being by him, pen in hand. There is a guardian angel always present. وجاءت سكرة الموت بالحق. The agony and throes of death come, revealing the truth of the next world, so that the one who previously denied it now sees it right before his eyes. That is the source of his agony. ذلك ما كنت منه تحيد. That is what you feared and you were trying to evade. In verse number 19, ذلك ما كنت منه تحيد. And as we said before, the word ما can come with different meanings in the Arabic language. One of them is what the author and the translator have mentioned. That it is ما موصولة. Meaning الذي. That is what you were trying to evade. The other one is that it is ما نافية. The ما of negation. Which means that there is no escape for you. There is no evasion for you. And so it changes the meaning slightly. The trumpet blown, the resurrection will be blown. That is the day of threat, and the punishment the unbelievers were threatened with will take place. Every self will come when they are driven to the place of gathering together with a driver, an angel who drives him to it, and a witness who testifies against him regarding his actions. That witness consists of the person's own hands, feet, and other limbs. Then the unbeliever will be told, In verse 21, Allah says, وَجَاءَتْ كُلُّ نَفْسٍ مَعَهَا سَائِقٌ وَشَهِيدٌ Every self will come together with a driver and a witness. And the author says that the driver is, mean the one who leads, is the angel, and the witness is from a person's own body. Ibn Kathir al-Tabari rahimahumullah shows that both are angels. The one who drives is an angel and the witness is the one that is also an angel. 
لَقَدْ كُنْتَ فِي غَفْلَةٍ مِّنْ هَذَا In the world you were heedless of this, meaning what is happening to you today. فَكَشَفْنَا عَنْكَ غِطَاءَكَ فَبَصَرُكَ الْيَوْمَ حَدِيدٍ So we have stripped, stripped you of your covering, meaning your heedlessness, by what you witnessed today. And today your sight is sharp. Today your sight perceives what you used to deny in the world. وَقَالَ قَرِينُهُ هَذَا مَا لَدَيَّ عَتِيدٍ His inseparable comrade, meaning his guardian angel, will say, This is what I have ready for you. أَلْقِيَا فِي جَهَنَّمَ كُلَّ كَفَّارٍ عَنِيدٍ Malik, the angel in charge of hellfire, will be told, Hell into hell, every obdurate unbeliever who denied the truth. مَنَّاعٍ لِلْخَيْرِ مُعْتَدٍ مُرِيبٍ Impeder of good, meaning here someone who refuses to pay zakat. Doubt-causing aggressor, someone who does wrong and has doubts about the deen. الَّذِي جَعَلَ مَعَ اللَّهِ إِلَهًا آخَرَ فَأَلْقِيَاهُ فِي الْعَذَابِ الشَّدِيدِ who set up another god together with Allah, hurl him into the terrible punishment. قَالَ قَرِينُهُ رَبَّنَا مَا أَطْغَيْتُهُ وَلَكِنْ كَانَ فِي ضَلَالٍ بَعِيدٍ His inseparable comrade, this time referring to shaitan, will say, Our Lord, I did not mislead him and make him overstep the limits. He was in any case far astray. I merely called him and he responded to me. He will say, he made me overstep by calling to me. قَالَ لَا تَخْتَصِمُوا لَدَيَّ وَقَدْ قَدَّمْتُ إِلَيْكُمْ بِالْوَعِيدِ He, meaning Allah, will say, Do not argue in my presence. Meaning arguing will be of no benefit here. When I gave you advance warning in the world of the threats, meaning of punishment in the next world. If you did not believe, then you must inevitably experience the punishment. مَا يُبَدَّلُ الْقَوْلُ لَدَيَّ وَمَا أَنَا بِظَلَّامٍ لِلْعَبِيدِ My word, once given, is not subject to change, and I do not wrong my slaves. I will not punish them without them having done wrong. Allah says, today there will be no injustice. On the day we say, read as, He says, to her, are you full? This question demonstrates the realization of Allah's promise to fill it. It will ask, are there no more to come? The second question is asked by how, and it means I can only encompass what fills me up, which means that it is full. In verse number 30, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this about how fire, and it's mentioned in the hadith of Bukhari of Anas radiallahu an, that Allah azza wa jal will keep asking the fire, are you full, and it will keep asking are there more to come, meaning that it will not be full until Allah commands it to be full, until Allah azza wa jal places his foot over it in a manner which befits his majesty subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then it will say qatin qat, enough, enough. And this is a position that was chosen by the majority of the scholars of tafsir. The majority of the scholars of tafsir hold that position, that the question that the fire is asking is for an increase, more and more and more, until Allah commands that there is no one left to go into the fire. That is a position by Ibn Kathir, Al-Qabali, Al-Shaqiti, Ali, Rahmatullah, and others. Some of the other scholars, however, of tafsir, such as Ata and Mujahid, said that the meaning of the question is, when it is asked, is that it is asking, is there space left? It is asking itself the question. Is there any room within me left? Rather than asking for an increase of people to come, it is asking about the room within itself. And Allah knows best. But the first position is the one of the majority. And the garden will be brought up close to those who are God-fearing, not far away, close to them so that they see it. هَذَا مَا تُوْعَدُونَ لِكُلِّ then they will be told, this, which is visible, is what you were promised. Read as, tu'aduna, and also you'aduna, 
what they were promised in the first world. It is for every careful penitent. Man rahman Those who fear the All-Merciful in the Unseen, without having seen Him. munib And come with a contrite heart, obeying Him. The God-fearing will be told, Enter it in peace, secure from any alarming thing, or with every kind of peace. This is the day of timeless eternity, the day on which people will be admitted to everlasting life in the garden. They will have there everything they want, and with us there is still more for what they did, more than they asked for. And this in this verse is similar to the verse in Surah Yunus, and the Mazid or the extra hair is referring to in the opinion of many of the scholars of tafsir, the scene of Allah Azza wa Jal, the scene Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many generations of unbelievers before them, meaning Quraysh, we destroyed, who had greater force than them and scoured and spread through many lands? Did they or others find any way of escape from death? They did not. There is a reminder in that which has been mentioned for anyone who has a heart, meaning intelligence, or who listens well to the admonition, having seen the evidence with an attentive heart. This verse, verse 37, is an amazing verse that Ibn Qayyim Ta'ala in his book Al-Fawa'id, it is the first principle that he mentions in terms of how a person can benefit from the Qur'an. And he says that in order to benefit from the Qur'an, you need four things. We need, number one, what is what will help you to benefit the actual, the reminder itself, which is the Qur'an. Number two, the place that you place that Qur'an, that it benefits, and that is the heart. Number three, the manner in which it benefits, and that is by listening attentively. And number four, to remove any obstacle, and that is to be, have a present mind, to be present at the time. He says, if you have all of these four things, then you will benefit greatly from the Qur'an. But if you do not have them, or one of them is missing, then that is when the Qur'an and its benefit is also limited. And he mentions, rahimahullah ta'ala, why does Allah Azza wa say, aw al-qassama'a, wa huwa shaheed? Why does it say, wa al-qassama'a? Because the verse should say, and, the one who has, and listens, while having seen the evidence, not or, because it is about being benefiting from the Qur'an, and Ibn Qayyim Ta'ala says the reason is because people differ. There are some people who when they read the Qur'an, it is as if they see everything between the, before their eyes because of their level of certainty and knowledge and their attentiveness in reading the Qur'an. And then there are other people who read the Qur'an, but they don't have that same level of attentiveness and it's as if they're hearing the story. Some people read the Qur'an as if they see it in front of them, meaning the stories and the lessons of the Qur'an and other people as if it is being relayed to. And no doubt the one who sees has a greater level of certainty than the one who simply hears. And that is the difference in the way that people approach the Qur'an. Anyway, it is a very long statement of his that is extremely beneficial. And I think that book's translated into English, Al-Fawai, of Ibn Qayyim, or maybe not. Maybe I just made that up. Okay. But anyway, we don't have the time, but it is an amazing statement of his, ta'ala, about the reflection of verse 37. وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا فِي سِتَّةِ أَيَّامٍ وَمَا مَسَّنَا مِنْ لُغُوبِ We created the heavens and the earth and everything between them in six days, the first day being Sunday and the last Friday, and we were not affected by fatigue. This was revealed to refute the Jews who said that Allah rested on the Sabbath, 
and to negate the idea that he could be subject to fatigue. For Allah is exalted above the attributes of creatures and there is no contiguity between him and others. His command when he desires a thing is simply to say to it, be and it is. Verse 39, this is addressed to the Prophet ﷺ. So be patient in the face of what they say, meaning the Jews and others say, in terms of anthropomorphism and denial. And glorify your Lord with praise before the rising of the sun in the Subh prayer and before it sets in the Dhuhr and Asr prayers. وَمِنَ اللَّيْنِ فَسَبِّحْهُ وَأَدْبَارَ السُّجُودِ And glorify him during the night, meaning in the Maghrib and Isha prayers. And after, read as, Adbar and Idbar, you have prostrated. Meaning, pray the Nafila prayers, which are Sunnah, after the obligatory prayers. It is also said that what is meant is actual glorification at those times. Verses 39 and 40, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the importance of Salah. And Allah says, فَاصْبِرْ عَلَى مَا يَقُولُونَ Be patient. And turn to prayer instead. As Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqeet mentions that this verse or these verses show then that one of the greatest ways of being steadfast and overcoming harm and people's, uh, the problems that you have with people and their oppression and what they say about you is to turn to Allah Azza wa in Salah. Which is what the Prophet would often do in times of difficulty and hardship. He would turn to Salah and he would pray even more. And that is what Allah Azza wa is saying. Because the believer is the believer is the one who seeks assistance to the prayer and through patience. And that is why from the beautiful statements of some scholars is how the prayer begins with seeking assistance from Allah and ends with seeking assistance from Allah. It begins with seeking assistance from Allah because we say in Surah Fatiha and it ends by seeking Allah's assistance because from the recommended du'as is that you say at the end of Salah Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik Oh Allah help me to remember you and to be grateful towards you and to worship you in the best possible way and that is because the believer understands that the way that they overcome their challenges is by turning to Allah Azza wa Jal and worshipping him subhanahu wa ta'ala Listen out for the day when the summoner, meaning Israfil, shall call out from a nearby place. When he is at the rock in Jerusalem, the closest place on earth to heaven, he will say, O decayed bones, separated joints, shredded flesh, and scattered hair. Allah commands you to come together for the rendering of judgment. And this uh, commentary of Al-Mahalli, rahimahullah ta'ala, for verse 41, is not an authentic hadith. that The Prophet said that he will stand at this place in the rock. The rock meaning the dome of the rock. That's what he's referring to, and Allah knows best. The day they, meaning all creatures, hear the blast in truth. The second blast by Israfil, which is for the resurrection. Or it is possible that it is before. And after his call, that day of the call and hearing it is the day of emergence from the graves. They will know the outcome of their denial. It is we who give life and cause to die. And we are their final destination. The day the earth splits open, read as تشققوا and تشققوا all around them as they come rushing forth. That is a gathering easy for us to accomplish. It is easy for Allah to bring things back to life after their annihilation and to gather people for the presentation and reckoning. We know best what they, meaning the unbelievers of Quraysh, say. وَمَا أَنْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِجَبَّارٍ 
You are not a dictator over them. You cannot compel them to believe. This was before the command to fight in jihad. So remind with the Quran whoever fears my threats, meaning the believers. And in this final verse, Allah says, Verse 45, You are not a dictator over them. The author says, Before the command to make jihad. And that is a statement which, uh, firstly, is not the position of the majority of the scholars that this verse is abrogated. But even then, the meaning of it is somewhat not what is intended. Because the Prophet didn't compel people before jihad, nor after jihad. So when he says this was before the command to fight in jihad, even after the command to fight, even if it is abrogated and jihad came, the Prophet never compelled people to fight or to accept Islam. He was not a dictator over them. And with that, inshallah ta'ala, we come to the end of today's sitting because there is another function in the masjid in a short while. So we will stop here with Nilay Ta'ala at the end of Surah Qaf. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.